Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we got your back we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week mac weldon and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktop, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. And we really are doing dice, luck, and cardboard this week. So stay tuned. Uh, I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who uh, doesn't fly United anyway, <laughs> Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Oh, there's no good way to fly. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Um, you need to think of another way, like something like dice, luck, and cardboard decided later canonically or something like, you know, like letting people smooth. know if it's going to show up. Uh, hey, yeah, that's good. Hey, hey, Jeff. I, oh, wait. I have something for you here. Let me open up, read what it says. Shut the hell up is what that says. Cool. Let me put that back <laughs> that's in the- that's not a DL and a C. What are you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got a great show for you coming up, um, and we have a great guest. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh, we're excited because DLC stands for Dedicated Leisure Club, because from the AD Game Club podcast, we've got Andrew Raxter joining us. Hey, Andrew. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Christian. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew emailed me very, very concerned that we were going to give short shrift to Persona 5. And he volunteered to come in and be our dedicated Persona 5 expert. So be, rest assured, we will have tons of Persona 5 talk. I've been playing more. I know Christian's been playing it. And Andrew, you're a, a Persona super fan? Oh, yes. Uh, basically, since Persona 3... Uh, I've loved this series, and I knew that Christian played at least Persona 4 Golden, but previously um, the Persona coverage has been lacking, so I wanted to make sure that was brought. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You got you, you you know you got to make sure we hold us to the fire and uh, and cover the game that everybody's talking about. It's selling like gangbusters. Of all of a sudden, Persona isn't this niche series now. It's like mainstream, massive, uh, mega hit. So we got to cover it. And cover it, we shall. But first, we got to start the show the way we always do, with Story of the Week. 
Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter. That's D-L-C-S-O-T-W. Or by visiting our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. That's a great place to hang out with fans of the show and talk about episodes and talk about stories of the week and other other cool topics. Really cool folks that hang out there. So be sure to swing by. Andrew, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, considering I'm here to talk about Persona 5, I figure it's only fitting that I start by talking about the whole Atlas uh, Persona 5 streaming controversy that's come up over the last week. Yeah, it seems a little odd that here's a company that's finally like uh, you know getting their their big mega hit out, and it's like we don't want people to know about it. <laughs> we don't want anybody to be able to actually stream the game. In fact, they uh, they instituted some pretty strict limits and some pretty intense threats to people that broke those limits. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about it, Andrew? I know that they've uh, done a lot of uh, YouTube limits, content ID, um, saying that if you're beyond this point, if you show these. Uh, certain cutscenes, and the way they went about it, they said it was to protect spoilers, but they then would spoil parts of the game to tell you you can't record this part. <laughs> yeah, don't tell don't tell anybody about how the the sled is Rosebud. Don't don't tell people that. Make sure that that's not the you know. Um, it's a little yeah, it's a little unfortunate that that's the way they have to do things. And it's also it's more unfortunate that they seem to have created this weird uh PR snafu as far as people kind of backlashing against it. I guess there's still a bunch of streamers that are breaking the rules and it's kind of forcing them to either, you know, call their bluff or actually be the big bad people that says, you know, take down your stuff and lock you out of the game, etc. Are you a streamer as well, Andrew? I'm not, but and that's part of the reason I wanted to bring this up is um, they even go so far as to lock out all of the media for the PlayStation 4, uh, which meant that every time I booted this game up or resumed it from the um, PlayStation start menu, it would notify me, hey, recording has stopped. Hey, you just got this achievement, but the screenshots are disabled. Like right. constant notifications to the point where I actually had to look up, how do I turn those notifications off? They're getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Every time I started the game, it would be like, recording has ceased. I was like, wait, was I recording this whole time? <laughs> why, why is recording ceased? Uh, Christian, what's your what's your take on this? Are you, are you feel like they are... Um... You know, biting the hand that feeds them or, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face or any other cliche you want to use? I think you need to give me three more cliches to pick from and then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll decide from there. It is so dumb. It is really so dumb. Uh, to Especially the way it was put out on their blog. Not that, it, you know, uh, people that need the information wouldn't see it this way. But it, it's one thing, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit for a game to have an embargo like this as press or something like that, if you get an early copy and, and to have some, some of those have some very funny, weird wording in them. And, um, you know, video game critics and press, I think have done a pretty good job of not sharing that language sometimes where it's like, Oh man, you are really silly with what you're saying here. Um, this one gets close. It says some pretty silly things. It refers to, uh, Atlas Japan as their Japanese masters. 
which is, I think, a little bizarre. And But just to publish this thing on the Atlas USA blog, essentially, for a game that is out in retail that you can buy, and streaming is such a uh, prevalent thing. I mean, I could do, maybe people have been asking me to do in at least 20 more minutes about like kind of the gray area or legality of fair use and where we are with that and streaming and all of that. So I'm not going to dive into any of that here. And I don't know if I'll do it later either because it's, <laughs> it's evolving uh, rapidly and no one's actually tested it really in court. But to have a game that is in retail with this, what is otherwise standard practice for how games are used and shared and stuff like that and streamed to then post something that could affect someone's livelihood just on a blog post on the internet. Like what if you're someone who bought the game, you don't make a habit of going to atlasusa.com and you stream past seven, seven, they're going to give your YouTube channel a strike. Come on. Like this is, this is so, if anyone from Atlas USA is listening, uh, I don't care what your Japanese masters told you. This is so dumb, and you guys look horrible for it. Like, there's no redeeming, we're trying to protect our fan. You don't understand how it works. No one is, like, watching a stream of a game and then is like, oh, crap, it got spoiled. I'm, the- I didn't know they were going to show me the game on this game stream. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, you should put a spoiler warning before you started playing the game. Um, yeah. This is speaking, speaking of spoiler warnings. I should have mentioned at the top we do have uh, bonus content, uh, spoiler talk for Horizon Zero Dawn at the end of this episode, uh, and also I have an interview that I did uh, at uh, Heroes of the Dorm that will also be bonus content. So double bonus content, double complete rainbow, all the way. And from the guy it. who made fun of me for including. <laughs> Bonus content. One single interview on the end of episodes. Jeff puts two at the end of one. I get it. I see where you're coming from. Uh-huh. But th- this is a very, very current meme to reference there. Anyway. <laughs> this is, this, I think this is a black eye on Atlas Japan, Atlas America, and takes away from talking about how great this game is um, because it's hard to have that conversation without bringing up how stupid they are and, and how they're promoting it. And it also, it, it makes me want to spoil it. <laughs> you know, it makes me want to be that annoying high school punk rock kid that lives in the game in the world, the world in the game and just tweet out, you know, here's how it ends. And then like, come at me, Atlas. What are you, <laughs> Gonna, what are you going to do? Grow up, you're going to grow up to be a volleyball coach <laughs> do terrible things with your students. I, I know you, my, Christian. I'm not going to be a track coach, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but uh, I don't think – it clearly didn't hurt the game. I mean, at 1.5 million sales evidently in the first week, uh, that's pretty darn good. It's explosive <laughs> by their normal standards. Oh yeah, uh, blows out of the water. I, I guess Persona Four Golden eventually got to seven hundred thousand, uh, which is, was a massive success for them, uh, you know, in that context. And to do double that in the first week, I, you know, clearly the the series has come to a uh, a new new place. And uh, when the next one comes out in seventeen years, it'll be uh, people will be <laughs> even more excited. Uh, all right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Um. Scorpio, it's got to be Scorpio. I don't, I don't understand. Like I tweeted out, why is it? Why are you reluctant? This is, this is awesome. Well, I, I feel like I can't necessarily have an intelligent conversation about it. Like I tweeted out, like Scorpio specs are out. 
reads them, doesn't understand them, tries to act cool anyway. Oh, yeah, Scorpio Specs. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be the old man who doesn't understand technology. I just don't. Like, the, the Forza stuff that they kind of showed, brute forcing, you know, full resolution cars from every distance in the game. They're not, like, trying to hide stuff as it gets closer. It gets more detailed or anything like that. Running in 4K at 60, like, that seemed exciting. But I, I don't understand. I'm not the right person to walk through the digital foundry uh microsoft kind of spec reveal and say this is better than your 980 or 1070 or how this will beat up a playstation 4 but i think it's exciting that this stuff is out and it's you know that slow march toward hopefully e3 where we get to see how awesome the games end up looking yeah i mean it's kind of an odd way to start the hype train of a new system is is to get into the super wonky tech specs first and the, all the fun stuff that gamers get excited about comes later. So yeah, I mean, th- this is really the least interesting stuff. The, the things that we're waiting to hear obviously are price, availability, what games are going to be on it, and how all those games perform. But I still think it's pretty interesting to see. And we're not going to, you know, step through your, you know, the GRAM and the, the clock speeds and how many cores and stuff. You can get all that stuff online pretty simply. We, we can just say in general that it's got a faster CPU than PS4 Pro, better GPU than PS4 Pro, more memory, more bandwidth, 4K-ready optical drive, which the PS4 Pro does not have. So it it could end up being, uh, you know, the 4K Blu-ray player that that people are looking for. It has about the same hard drive as the PS4 Pro. So it, it on paper, outperforms PS4 Pro across the board. It does look like a pretty beefy system with a lot of capability. And it seems to indicate that their, you know, seven teraflop uh, target that they had, they had, you know, dropped. Was it six? Yeah. Whatever. It's a lot of teraflops. Anyway, I don't even, th- I just remember six being like, I don't know what that means, but yeah. Uh, anyway, back at E3 last year when they said it was going to be the fastest system in the world, uh, it looks like they, they hit that number. And that's, that's pretty exciting. I think obviously we want to, want to see what those games are going to be. Some other bits of interest, I think, uh, from this tech reveal, there is no Kinect port, uh, much like the Xbox One S, which came out recently. Uh, there's no X, there's no Kinect port. So either you buy that $40 dongle to in- connect your Kinect. No, you don't. <laughs> or, I mean, it's, it's legit dead. It's like full-on dead, dead, dead. They are completely abandoning it. I thought there might be an opportunity, especially since, you know, there are a lot of rumors swirling about Scorpio being a VR box, like eventually either, you know, supporting Oculus or having its own proprietary headset, that there might be some fun marriage between VR tech and Connect tech. But it looks like Microsoft says, nope, we, we goofed. No one wants it. Although mine's still hooked up and I still say, you know, Xbox on. Um and it's kind of a bummer to me that that won't be the case anymore. It also makes it easier talking about streaming. It also makes it easier to have a camera already built into the to the system to stream uh, games from Xbox One, which is nice. But that's not going to be in the system at all. So that's kind of a bummer to me. What, what is your take on these uh, specs, Andrew? The I I'll be honest. I don't have an Xbox One. Uh, most of the games that have come out for it, I've been able to play on PC, and I haven't really felt the need. So for the three games I haven't been able to do that, I I just I don't know if buying an Xbox Scorpio is going to do it for me. Uh, if hopefully it's going to be like the 
4 Pro, where it's going to be the just Xbox One games across the board still, and maybe someday I'll buy a cheap Xbox uh, Slim and experience those few exclusives then. So the idea of the uh, you know the Ferrari of video game consoles doesn't appeal to you. You don't care about it being the the biggest and the baddest. It actually needs to have exclusive stuff that that's the only thing that would make you want to buy one. I haven't been able to convince my wife yet to buy that 4K TV, but maybe <laughs> after that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it does seem to seem to indicate that every single Xbox One game will have a tangible. Uh, performance boost based on based on what you know digital foundry was was talking about so x uh, excuse me playstation 4 pro you know there were only certain games that had been patched to take advantage yep. of the hardware and then they had this you know this boost mode thing that kind of gives a, a bit of hardware a bump to uh to existing titles but it sounds like the performance gains that you will see for project scorpio are going to be much much bigger than PS4 Pro is offering for legacy games. I think that's kind of a cool thing too. Do we know anything about uh, games that have their frame rates locked and stuff like that? That's something that came up with the 4 Pro was so many games are actually locked at certain speeds. Right. Would those get boosted in some way? Uh, well, not 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 without a patch, but those games will have faster loading times and any game that uses dynamic um, dynamic resolution scaling like halo 5 for example will see a resolution of 1080p locked like it won't ever scale it down so that's kind of cool too um because i think you know halo 5 maxed out at 900p or something weird and uh i think that's that's kind of exciting stuff for people that are you know into that but the faster loading times i think will be huge i mean it has a lot more memory and memory bandwidth to deal with uh to to be able to leverage and i think we're going to see much better performance from from all those games. You know, I, I, E3 is really the 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 place, the put up or shut up place, and I'm sort of hoping that we're going to see um, really really dramatic, you know, games that are that are very impressive, dramatic improvements in these games, and and I hope that they have the the courage to make some exclusives to this thing. I know that they have previously stated that there will be no games that are exclusive that don't also support Xbox one, but I would like to see, you know, this kind of power fully leveraged and fully taken advantage of, uh, and not feel like it's, you know, also having to backwards compat to, to Xbox one. That's the hardest part about it. It's the same thing that Sony struggled with. And I think they've, they kind of have done okay with their messaging, but you know, when, when they show a game, they're going to, if they show the Scorpio version of it, and then the millions of people that own a standard Xbox One go home and put it in, and if it looks worse than that, considerably worse than that for them, I mean, how much of a bait and switch is that? You know, how many disappointed consumers are there that are like, this, oh, this runs like crap. I'm getting 20 frames per second or whatever it is. It's really hard to advertise. It's like this game has ten, full 1080 locked at 1080p, 60 frames per second, or it's 720p, 20 frames per second, and it gets really bad in the forest. But otherwise, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, and with this thing being even more powerful than the the PlayStation 4 Pro, you know, you would assume that 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 delta is, is even larger between how it looks on an Xbox One and how it looks on a Scorpio. And you know, it's 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 a tightrope walk, I think, for advertising and marketing departments to pull off on how to sell this thing without angering your your original fans your brand ambassadors so to speak that 
that got you this far. But with what we know right now, Jeff, are you you're buying one just because, or, or are you in a, or wait and see? I mean, I think I think it would be great to give me some some solid reasons at E three, and it, it seems like from what you know Phil Spencer has said and, and others, it, it seems like they recognize that they need to bring games, uh, exclusive games to Xbox One. I mean, that's what Andrew is saying as well is give me reasons, give me, give me reasons to invest in your system. I, you know, I haven't turned on my Xbox One in a while, to be quite honest with you. And it's hard to argue that anybody should, uh, buy it now, buy an Xbox One or, you know, get excited about Xbox One when you've got Horizon Zero Dawn and, uh, Last Guardian and, uh, Neo and uh, Persona 5 and all, you know, all these ex- exclusive experiences on PlayStation 4. So I think that Microsoft has to understand that they need to bring first party and they need to bring it hard and it needs to be impressive and it needs to really justify what we all assume will be a very hefty price tag for this thing. I don't think it's going to be um, an inexpensive box. So over or under five hundred dollars. I think it's right at five hundred dollars. I think it's four ninety nine. Um, Andrew, over or under five hundred. I would guess about five hundred. Yeah. Oh, it's expensive. It is, and, man. It's rough. And I think I talked about it on here, right? Like the rumors that Sony's just sitting on a huge price drop. I, I yeah, who knows? I have no like real facts to show it, but that kind of keeps bubbling up to the surface. I mean, that is just, that's classic. What is it, three years ago? Sony E3 where Microsoft comes out at their press conference, like the Scorpio available this October at $500, the most powerful video game console ever. And then Sony's like PlayStation 4 Pro, still pretty great, 250 See you later, jerks. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That, that could oh. undercut them big time. And they have, you know, Microsoft is is um, showing on Sunday at E3 this year. And so, you know, Sony's they're giving Sony even more time to just kind of like rewrite their <laughs> rewrite their press conference should they their need slides, to. slides, like clearly parts of it is in a different font. Like they didn't have <laughs> like the Arial new that they used at Sony Japan. And they're like, uh, 199 <laughs> And it looks completely different. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's going to be an interesting year, I think. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm rooting for that. I think I think I, I like competition. I like these all these games to be you know exciting. And I I you know I think Microsoft understands the position that they're in. And I hope that the I mean I would like I would like there to be VR on this thing. I think they keep talking about it. I think it would be cool. This thing certainly has the the power to push VR. I think even more than obviously even more than playstation 4 pro does and uh, i think it'd be cool if if they said oh you can plug your oculus into it or we'll sell you one for you know whatever an expensive bundle that'd be pretty great too all right uh my story of the week i guess i mean obviously the the specs on the the scorpio were the thing i was kind of most jazzed about this week but i think an interesting story is uh the fact that bioware has started to aggressively address a lot of the issues that we and others have had with Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, they're, they have put out a number of uh, blog posts on the Bioware blog stating that they have heard, uh, it says, since our launch, our team has been poring over comments and feedback, looking to discover what you like about the game. <laughs> we were really trying to find what you guys like about the game. Is any, anything, anything, uh, as well as areas we can evolve or improve. Uh, we'll start releasing a new patch. Uh, this Thursday, we release a, a patch that addresses technical fixes, but adds a number of improvements, and we've heard what you've asked for. And over the next several months, they say, more patches will come to address those issues. So we've already seen this last Thursday. 
a patch that improved dramatically, in my opinion, improved the eyeballs of, of certain characters. I, I don't understand how you can just like go, oh, maybe we should have made the eyeballs look good. Did anybody, did anybody put the good code in the game? No? Okay, well, we can just patch the good code in. Uh, they changed the shaders on the eyes for certain characters, and it really has a dramatic improvement on how realistic they look, and they don't have that sort of glassy painted-on eye thing. So we saw that already. You know, that addresses some of the weird faces that people have complained about with Mass Effect Andromeda. And it sounds like they are going to be even more aggressive going forward about addressing a lot of the things that people complain about. So we have this situation where, A, the, the community has been heard. The Bioware is listening, and they seem to be proactive in in dealing with that going forward, which one can only say is a good thing. Like if you have complaints and they're hearing them and they're addressing them, that's positive, right? But the flip side of that is we're now in the situation where a big AAA release that has been teased for years and years and years and supposedly was a finished product is being treated much like a early access title, that it is going to evolve over time. All of these rough spots are going to get worked out. So all of these people that were early adopters that pre-ordered, that invested a bunch of time, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours playing these games at launch when you're clearly not playing the best version of this game. And I can't help but sympathize with the feeling of being a little bit burned in that situation. So Andrew, I want to know as a gamer what you what your take on this is. Like do you feel good that you're being heard or that other gamers' voices are being heard or do you feel like you know this is the early accessification of all gaming? I kind of feel that uh BioWare figured out they could get away with patching their game and fixing it after the fact after Mass Effect 3. Um, that game had a huge outcry over fans not liking the initial release. And I wonder if just they decided, you know what, we can release it now, patch it later, and things will be okay. They'll still buy Andromeda 2. Uh, I don't know. I wonder. I wonder how, how cynical that decision is. I mean, I know that game design is hard and that there are compromises all along that path to release that uh, – I know developers are loath to make, but are forced to make. And I wonder how much of that is a genuine feeling of like, okay, well, as long as we get this game out and we don't slip the date, because, you know, gamers get pissed either way, right? If the game gets delayed, they're pissed. If the game comes out and it's not finished, they're pissed. There's, you know, it's, it's a, as Christian would say, a damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's that Miyamoto saying, though, of a delayed game is eventually good. Right. So. <laughs> well, it turns out a released game is eventually good nowadays <laughs> as well. Uh, so what's your take on this, Christian? Yeah, well, one, thank you for giving me credit for Damned If You Do, Damned If You Don't. I, I invented that. I didn't say you little... coined it. I just said, as you would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, this screams fiscal year-end, quarterly year-end you know, release to me to get this game out. Um, I don't know I, I, I f- that the cynical, overly cynical way of looking at it is over at Bioware. They're like, we've heard you fans and we had our list of known chippables and we've highlighted the 10 that you've brought up. The other 15 you've yet to discover, <laughs> let them ride. But these 10 we will fix. Um, and I don't think it's like they didn't have good eyes to turn on when the game came out. It's just 
this game needs to come out in this quarter and this is how we can get it right now and I, I imagine they've been working on this stuff since since it you know went gold and there's no way in in my mind that these changes happened post launch like the turnaround for that if they were able to do it that quickly then yes it was as as easy as going in you know opening up the spreadsheet and going ah turn off bad eyes turn on good eyes i guess we'll activate smooth animation <laughs> ugh um it just development isn't that quick right so they've been working on this stuff i'd imagine since they were had to stop working on it to get the game out, and now they're able to roll out those those patches and those changes. But it is it's, it's this world now where oftentimes your biggest fans, your brand ambassadors, are punished for playing the worst version of a game. You know, the same thing with Final Fantasy fifteen. It's like, oh, c- congratulations, thanks for spending hours and hours and hours with this game. Here's some stuff that's broken and weird, and the story doesn't make sense anymore. Don't worry, we'll fix it for everybody that buys the. $30 player's choice edition next year. And yeah. it's it's super it's super frustrating. I guess the good news is they're continuing to fix it, but it I don't know how much it helps. I think the only way it helps is hopefully by the time, you know, as Andrew said, Andromeda 2 comes out or Mass Effect 4, you know, they just cut and burn with whatever they do next, they repaired some of that loyalty where it's like, well, at least they fixed it, you know, kind of thing instead of people looking back at a still quote-unquote broken game. Yeah, in the chat, uh, Stephen A. Rivers agrees. He said, another case of early adopters being beta testers, just like No Man's Sky, Assassin's Creed Unity, Master Chief Collection, on and on. Um, I wonder, guys, if because we live in a world where early access games are so common and so popular and do so well, if we have just accepted this as part of the process. It's like... The, the distinction between an early access game and a finished full release product has just gotten blurred to the point where it's all kind of the same thing. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, also uh, World of Warcraft is a finished game, but it changes all the time. And League of Legends is always evolving and... Yeah, you know, uh, Minecraft is hasn't actually ever been released. It was just in beta for, you know, 20 whatever. I mean, I know it has been released. But you know what I'm saying that these things that are just these nebulous products but are also massive successes that change and improve and evolve. It's like, well, that's just as gamers what we're used to now. So if every game is like that, I guess every game is like that and okay. I mean, do we do it to ourselves a little bit? I feel that if the publishers were upfront that saying that, hey, this is going to be an early access game, that they wouldn't get this backlash if they were just upfront that, hey, we're here's the patching schedule we already have in place. And by this date, this is our final like planned date. But you get to start playing it now. Yeah. Fans would love that. Uh, w. Matthew in the chat says uh, all of the things that, that I mentioned are multiplayer, though. And is that. A, a distinction that's important, like if it's multiplayer, that it's okay to continue to evolve it. I mean, even if these multiplayer experiences are campaign in nature, you know, like, um, um, you know, survival games like uh, Ark or uh, um, what's the zombie game that's that was based on Arma. And there's a new one uh, this week. There's a giant Daisy. Daisy, right? And there's a new there's a new Arma based mod that became its own game. That's that, that's uh, selling it sold a million in early access this week on steam so people don't have a problem playing early access games 
And I, I, I just wonder if that mentality has just permeated to the point where we just sort of let it all slide. Then, then you need to say it's early acts. I mean, maybe, maybe it has, um, but I feel like for single player experiences, it is it's harder to to say that a, a narrative, you know, driven game. I, I think you'll see pushback if it continues down that that path for something that is, you know, a single player narrative based experience. Um, Hopefully, hopefully people will wise up and not not buy it when it's new. Because is it worth being part of the zeitgeist and the discussion when the discussion is mostly negative? Maybe, <laughs> maybe we all like pain and we want to be part of complaining about something. But it's up ultimately up to us, right, to say that no, this is not okay. Um, I'm not getting my money's worth for this, and I'm not going to continue to support these practices. And I guess if we don't do that, then yes, we'll continue to to see <laughs> to see this crap happening. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, let's move on. We got we got Persona Five to talk about. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsor, though, Mac Weldon. Uh, Mac Weldon makes undergarments. They make basics. They make uh, sweatpants and undershirts and underpants and uh, you know boxers, briefs, boxer briefs. Uh, these are very very high quality products. I use them myself. Uh, I'm I'm not wearing my Mac Weldons today, guys. But I did yesterday, and I traveled to uh, I traveled to Vegas this weekend, and the only thing I packed in my bag was my Mac Weldon's because if I want to make sure I am fresh and feel good and 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 not stank, I'm gonna wear my Mac Weldon's because Mac Weldon is a high quality, smart design. They use premium fabrics, and they are uh, their silver underwear line are nat- naturally antimicrobial. That means they uh, prevent odor, which is really nice for somebody like me who creates odor. I mean, not intentionally, as little as I possibly can. But you know what's going to happen? It happens to the best of us, gang. So get on your Mac Weldon's. They have a really cool uh, shopping experience. You don't have to go into a store and you know walk down the aisle and grab a pack of stupid underpants. And it's uh, nobody wants to do that. Do it online. Make it easier. Make it easier on yourself. Mac Weldon's socks, shirts, they look good, they feel good, they perform well, great for working out, great for going to work, great for sitting and doing a podcast, going on dates, everyday life. Plus, we're going to hook you up. We're going to give you a 20% discount. All you got to do is go to MacWeldon.com, use the promo code DLC at checkout, you'll get yourself 20% off, you'll look good, you'll feel good, you'll upgrade your underpants. Telling you, you got to do it. MacWeldon.com, promo code DLC. Get yourself 20% off. What you're playing this week? I think we all know what we've been playing this week. It's Persona 5. Uh, Andrew, let's jump right in. Um, you came off of Persona 4 Golden. You with waiting every single day, waiting, waiting, waiting for Persona Five. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? What are your feelings? It has surpassed my expectations. Okay. Um, the game, just as you would expect from Persona Three and to Four, they added, they have the great music, a great art style, just oozing style, like you had said previously. Um, but the additions they've made to uh, have these predefined castle or palaces 
and the gameplay mechanics within there have really spiced up the RPG aspect of the game, and I feel keeps it fresh each uh, palace that I've gone into so far. Um, just constantly discovering new things within the game, and that's not even touching the social life aspect. <laughs> so the Persona franchise is near and dear to your heart. What is it that draws you to it? Is it is it the um, the setting and the milieu of of being a high school student, um, kind of going through life? Is it the the modern day setting, or is it more the mechanics of of how the game plays? Can I say all of the above? <laughs> sure. Um, the so I I love JRPGs for their mechanics, the finding the weakness, and if I do run into a problem, I can level up, grind a little bit if needed. Um, but what makes Persona truly special is that daily life, the fact that when you're not inside a dungeon, you can be outside experiencing a modern-day Tokyo, a, a school life simulator, and the daily, the calendar mechanic where no matter what you do, uh, you're moving stuff forward. And it's sort of like a point salad board game where no matter what you're doing, you're also improving yourself. You're increasing your scores. So you just constantly getting that uh, endorphin rush of just, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I did it. <laughs> right. Whether you're in combat or just living your school day life. Yeah, I mean, I think that that time as a resource uh, is something that that it tends to make me anxious and and not not enjoy games. It's like, oh, I, I, there's a finite amount of time. How do I spend it? But as you said, with this game, there isn't a wrong way to spend it. It feels more like um, a lot of great choices, other than rather than a lot of like, oh, I squandered that precious resource of time. Um, you know, unlike the real life where it's <laughs> wasting time. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a really cool part of it. As you said, it's it's um it's an interesting story. I mean, it's not a story that you're going to find in many kinds of video games. It's uh it's pretty dark. It's a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. That's for sure. I mean, the implications of what these teachers are doing to their students. I mean, not even just implications. It's it's straight up explicit that they are you know being horrible. Uh, every adult in the game is 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 a horrible human. Um. And that I don't know. I, I was taken aback by that. I was I was pretty surprised by the tone there. Um, but it's it's kind of cool. Like it's 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 daring and different and bold in a really interesting way. That's a pretty common practice in SMT games to have a really dark slash mature storyline um, with mature characters, and that's also part of what brings us to love and care for our characters is seeing them go through these hardships and discovering themselves through them. I stand by my statement last week that I, I don't think the writing is particularly strong. Uh, I, I think that it, whether it is a function of translation or a function of cultural difference or, or whatever it may be, I feel like, um, uh, Everything is on the nose. Everything is explicit. Everything is – characters state exactly how they feel at a given time rather than allowing me to intuit how they feel or kind of invest in how they feel. And um, I, I think that that is something that has still kept kept me a little bit at arm's length with the game. That's something that you can understand or yeah. you just not feel that? 
I can understand where you're coming from on that. And that is super common with Japanese games or stories in general, like anime and their light novels. All of their characters act very similar to this. There's a website, uh, TV Tropes, where they just list out all of the different tropes that you'll see in uh, across media. And Japanese games have their own tropes and character definitions and very much what you're saying. Characters, and especially in styles like this of the visual novel style, they will just straight up say what they're feeling most times. That's yeah. 100% true. But I feel like, for Persona at least, the what I call the cheese factor is at least a little bit better than in most of these types of instances. There, there are a lot of games where just things get too bubbly or too cute, mm -hmm. and it, or just too angry. And it's, I feel like they find a really good middle ground with the Persona series. Uh, Christian, you and I both uh, complained in regards to uh, Gravity Rush Two on this point, and I saw this week uh, on your Twitter feed that you were very enthusiastic about your your love for Persona Five. Are you still feeling a tinge of this, or does it is it mitigated in some way? It's mitigated. This game and, and Gravity Rush Two, they're not the same. They're not the same beast. Maybe they're cut from the same cloth at some point, but then they're made into a very different outfit. To continue a, a bad a metaphor that I started on, um, they measured with chalk and they cut. No, uh, <laughs> um, uh, for me, outfits in this game are fantastic. So I don't blame you for using that particular well, metaphor because this, I mean, outfits. Come on. The style is, I think I tweeted that playing Persona 5 wants me to, makes me want to dress better until I realize that dry cleaning is expensive and ironing takes too long. Yeah. But yeah, everyone is so stylish. Um, for me, Gravity Rush 2 bumped because it was, it was more, um, that traditional anime. They're just like, I felt like, I feel like I was losing an hour just to reactions of like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And I'm just like, yeah, it's something bad's Dude, happening. That happens in Persona 5. Don't, I'm not going to let you get away with saying that because, I mean, half the time I'm listening to that guy go, oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, I'm so angry. Oh, what? You're not allowed to do that. You're a teacher. What? Oh. It's the same thing, dude. <laughs> uh, one of our DJs need to make that into a song for some segment. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, Jeff takes his son to school for the first day, I think is what. <laughs> um, maybe the difference is, is, is my own personal baggage where this and, and Persona 4 as well feels more like um, a CW show, which I have grown up with and loved from, you know, Buffy back in the day or Dawson's Creek, but when they were WB before the CW was around and now Flash or Arrow or um, Riverdale. It's very much this, this high school melodrama, heart on my sleeve, um, uh, scream the TV series. This idea that yeah, the the adults are bad guys. It's it's go up to the wily freshman or sophomore to solve the crime that the police aren't willing to investigate because they're too dumb and fat. And all adults want to do is get in our way and touch our privates. And it's just like this yeah. world that's like this hyper exaggerated world. And so maybe for me the difference is instead of being on a flying rock, you know, mining ore uh, in Gravity Rush, having it set in high school. Um, and, and these complaints being the same thing, it just, it, it, it still has that Eastern, um, feel to it, but it, it reminds me very much of these things that I grew up loving of these, these CW high school shows, the Scooby gang and all of that. And, and the cheesiness I welcome. It's like, it's part of the experience. And also I think partly because 
that's what high school is. Like, this is clearly an exaggerated version of it, but like, that's when we're all at our angstiest and everything is the worst. And your parents are like, Hey, would you mind shutting that door? And you roll your eyes as hard as you possibly can at them. You know, it's just like, Oh my God. Uh, and it's like, just shut the door, dude. Like, stop it. <laughs> I don't know why you want to revisit that time in your life, Christian. That sounds terrible to me, but, uh, no, I, I mean, there's a charm to it. I, I have definitely since last week, I mean, I, I was gone all weekend to here's the dorm, but so I didn't get as much many hours on, on it as I had hoped. I'm continuing to play it, but I definitely clocked into the joy uh, of the game. And I kind of see what's so fun about it. And for me, it's pure mechanics. Like the story, I kind of don't understand why people love the story. I, I, I really don't. I mean, it's fine. It's not bad, but it is, it, it's not delivered effectively. I don't think it, 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 it feels tedious. Everything is overly long. Uh, everything is chopped up and punctuated by numerous load moments and, and that's, transitions and cutscenes and stuff. And that's, that's fine. I love the style of all that is, is cool. It's just, it just never lets me enjoy the story. Uh, I, I don't think, um, but the mechanics are great and really the the Japanese RPG trappings are done really, really well. And when you start acquiring a bunch of personas and you're able to really try to find weaknesses in characters and do that one more chaining stuff. So the way the the way the battles work is depending on the enemy, the enemies have a weakness. And if you can find the right attack, it'll it'll it like a like an NBA, you get and one and one free throw Um the game gives you a, a one more attack so you can keep chaining together your attacks and defeat them before they ever ha- even have a chance to attack you. That is really fun. That strategy, that investigation really of of what enemies have what weaknesses, I really found a lot of joy in that and, you know, tackling the the turn-based challenges. And then also it has this really cool f- feature where in order to acquire new personas, you can you can get an enemy knocked down and then try to talk them into joining your side rather than just defeating them. Instead of killing them outright, you can engage them in conversation. And then it starts this wonderful little like conversation mini game where you're trying to suss out their what they're looking for in a conversation, uh, you know, based on context clues. And I really dig that. I thought that was a pretty fun element of it, and it made me always try to do that. Um, Something I want to bring up right here. Uh, as for the conversations, that's a mechanic from back in uh, Persona 1 and 2 had been removed for 3 and 4, and they brought it back for 5, hmm. and something that can make the experience a lot better for everyone. Uh, the shadows have uh, personality types, timid or irritable or goofy, and uh, in the options in the system, there's a tutorial uh, guides and one of them will actually explain, hey, for uh, this uh, characteristic type, this personality type, you should respond with these types of answers to get a better result. And oh. they don't say that explicitly during the game, but you can find that in the in the additional menus to that explain those personality types. And that really does help with being able to convince them to join your side. I liked, I honestly liked just trying to figure out the kind of person that they were based on their responses. And they're like, 
oh, I guess you're not cool enough. I was like, oh, okay, I got to be a bad boy in this conversation or <laughs> whatever. I, yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I think, Jeff, like, it's fine. The story's not for you or whatever. You know, I'll never be able to convince you that that it is. <laughs> um, but I, I think I would take this story over, and I don't want to just harp on Mass Effect, but over Mass Effect's any day of the week, where Mass Effect is a very Western version of a story, but talk about, you know, sticking to tropes and, and just doing the same thing and presenting it in a very bland and boring way and, you know, sussed out through conversations that I would say are not very interesting. And, and here it's, it's, you know, maybe some of those same problems, but the biggest difference is one is maybe an early access game and you can't, you can't deny the style of, of the game. And I'm saying that style always trumps substance, but there's a reason why I why I watch almost every single gymnastics event during the Olympics because holy crap that's a, that's amazing to watch right it's 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 strength and beauty and uh, acrobatic ability and you're just, you're just blown away by the style of it all in this game too it doesn't matter what's happening in it 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 looks so amazing the load screens are annoying and I don't know why they're necessary when they seem to be necessary. Um, and I mean, just like the basic loads where it seems like it came out of a conversation and loads you back into um, the dungeon, which is seems weird. But everything else is is so beautiful and so cool. And I find myself, you know, almost in this rhythm with the world as everything is kind of flashing on screen and happening. And for a, a turn based fighter, if you go back and, you know, look at video of whatever it is, Final Fantasy three or, you know, find your best JRPG of, of days of yore. And then compare it to the way this is, you're doing kind of the same thing. They've tweaked the mechanics here or there. But the way it looks, the way the menus are splashed on screen, it creates, uh, I think, the sense of of activity that otherwise doesn't exist in a static screen. Select your reply, select your attack, select your defense. And to me, that's 90% of the game. Without that, if it were just you know a text-based adventure... No, this game would have nothing, but so much of it is that polish and that style that just it just wins you over the whole I, time you're playing it. I don't disagree with you. I think that I I, I think the style the graphic design of the game is stellar. Top notch. But you started out by saying like, I think the story's great, and here's why. It's got all these cool menus and there's like loading well, screens. I said the story is great because it's that high school current CW soap opera thing that really resonates with me. But I think even if you don't like that, the way it's presented, it's like reading uh, – uh, uh, imagine <laughs> imagine reading um, – just take your worst, the the worst 90s X-Men arc and read that as a book versus reading it with the amazing 90s X-Men art. Like you, No one would read no, the book I, version of that. You're not wrong there. But I, I also think that just because it is couched in this cool style, I'm not going to forgive it. Like, for example, it's not a spoiler to say the very beginning of the game – Oh, crap. You, we're gonna get this. We're gonna get a mark on our podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> the very beginning of the game, you are this disaffected teen who has been shuffled off to. I guess he's a relative um, because you, you know, you were bad at your school. You this incident went down that got you a terrible reputation. So they shuffled you off to a new school, and you are a ward of this guy who owns a little like coffee shop type thing, a little bar. And he immediately when you meet him, he says, I hate you. I don't want you to be around. I didn't want to take you in. I don't want you. 
if if I had instead had a series of conversations where that guy, where like any human being would in the real world, he wouldn't say that to my face. He would, I could like could figure it out based on context, based on like the conversations where he's he's trying to be a nice guy, but just simmering underneath is this seething uh, resentment for having to take care of you. If I had actually discovered that and felt like that was that was something that I as the player figured out rather than the game just going I don't want you here I don't like you go to your room D- don't touch anything you know like it's all so simplistic and and, and not simplistic in the in a in the lacking complexity because there's a lot of complexity in the story it's just simplistic in how it's presented it is the most Simple way to tell you something. It is the opposite of show, not tell, right? It's tell, tell, tell. And that just – whether that is – I know a trope of anime or whatever, it, it just bothers me and it makes me feel you know, talked down to in a certain sense or just underestimated. And it makes those conversations uninteresting because it's like, okay, I got it. You don't have to say 12 times. Oh, I'm so angry at the teacher. Oh, he can't do that to the students. It's like, no, I I got it. The first 40 times you said it. No, it's just Jeff hates anime. I think I, I don't, don't know hate anime. if Andrew can back me up on that, but I, I feel like all your, I just hear you <laughs> saying, I hate anime. I hate anime, I anime, anime. Yes. Anime. Japan is the worst country in the world. I hate, I hate Japan. Also, I, was, I went as a, as an exchange student to Japan when I was uh, 16. And what do you think about the teachers? Birthday there. Huh? <laughs> what do you think about the teachers? I was fine until they started beating me and sexually assaulting me. It was other than that, it was great. Well, no, no, no. I wanted to suss that out through conversation, Jeff. Right, Don't just no, tell no, me. I hate that. them. I hate them. They beat me. I mean, I, 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 I can't say your complaints aren't valid, but I don't want to put words in Andrew's mouth. But I feel like. You just don't like it. I don't know. No, I, I don't. I, I no. That's that's not true. I I like it. I which makes me wish it was better. Like I, I think, dude, well, different. I better love, to you. The I world think... ends with you. Was did one of my favorite same thing. What <laughs> did the exact same thing? No, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it didn't. I'm saying the world <laughs> ends with you was one of my favorite DS games because of its setting. And I love I love the setting. Same setting Shibuya, same place. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's my. That's why. That's my point here is that I wanted. I want this game to be amazing. I I love the setting. I love. I love modern day. I love Japan. I love this idea of in in imposing role playing game mechanics on a modern day setting. I think that's an awesome thing. I I mean, I'm not into like this this kid. And- what? Neku, the emo child that you're playing as, is constantly telling you, oh, I hate the world. I hate talking to people. Yeah. Why do people keep talking to me? Shut up. I'm going to wear headphones so that you don't talk to me anymore. Like that. That's what this style of game is. They all do this. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Have you ever played any of the other visual novel style games like Phoenix Ride, Zero Escape, Danganronpa? Uh, there's uh, a lot of these types of games that keep coming out. Phoenix Wright had played a fair amount of, uh, the others know. What did you think of Phoenix Wright? Phoenix Wright is just silliness. It's just wacky. And I, I, I guess I gave it a pass because it wasn't trying to be more than that. And, or at least I didn't interpret it as being trying to be more than that. Um, so I guess I just, I went along with the, you know, over the top zaniness. Um, you know, there's, there's th- certain things that feel like they're trying to be cartoons and other things that feel like they're trying to be, 
you know, something more, but using animation as a medium. Well, and speaking I, of that, <laughs> I don't know. That's an easy transition if you wanted to make it. I don't know if you wanted to, though. To Drawn to Death? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if we've, we've exhausted this game, but yeah, I mean, we definitely want, I definitely want to talk about that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't mean to be negative Nancy. I, I, like I said, I'm enjoying, I just want more out of it. I want it to be a little bit more subtle and, uh, sophisticated and, um, I, I feel like, yeah, these, and even saying these games, um, I'm not trying to lump them all together. So I'll just say persona five. Um, it's not trying to be that. I think its sophistication and where its story goes is ultimately interesting, um, not because of the subtle conversations you have with each individual teachers. Um, and I would need to spend more time with the game to be sure that this checks out. But it's setting up expectations in a way that are so heavy-handed so that it, it's almost you're in a rhythm of what the story is. And it keeps hitting the thing over and over and over again. So you're able to go into the thing, and people talked about it for Zelda or whatever, and you can just skip through the text. You get the color of the conversation of what's happening, and then that that builds, and you kind of hit that. So then when they divert from it or drop uh, you know, a spoiler that you're not allowed to stream or talk about, it, it, it's jarring in that it's different than what you've seen before. And and so it's like anything else where it's setting up tension or um, this feeling of, of comfort, been there, done that. So then when something new happens, it, it has weight and it's interesting. And whether it's a mechanic or a fight or a, a boss or a twist, you're kind of lulled out of this complacency in a way that is fresh and fun and interesting. And for a game that is, you know, by all accounts, 100 to 120 hours, spending six hours really hitting home the character traits and, and tropes of these people isn't tons of time with the game, but it's taking time to set up the world and tell the story in a way that I think is is very satisfying, and they're not trying to rush you through it in a way that other games do, and you're really spending time with these characters, and this is how they act, and they're angsty, and they're teenagers, and, and adults are the worst, and stay out of my life, and you're not my dad, and don't talk to me like that, and you're not even my teacher, this isn't my school, you're not my principal, you're just some guy that had to take me in, everything sucks, now I found my friends, at least you understand me, now let's empathize with each other about how crappy this is yeah this is real crappy we've been here for years and it only gets worse did you know that this guy's doing this what that's not cool oh also by the way we have awesome shadow powers like i don't know man i i I eat this stuff up but i think you know you grew up listening to prince and i grew up listening to uh newfound glory and uh panic at the disco and (laughs) and blink 182 so maybe it's different different strokes for different folks but andrew i think andrew and i are going to yeah, eyeliner on and go out and have some fun. <laughs> I completely <laughs> agree with Christian. Like spot on. I'm wearing eyeliner too. It's just so that I can dance. Not not. <laughs> you guys aren't interested in dancing. Well, you put you put rhinestones on the top of your eyeliner, there and ours is just black like our hearts. From the tip of my typhoon <laughs> to the bottom of my ankle chains. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Is, is there anything else you wanted to add to this, Andrew? Before we move on, um. I I I love this game. I think it's a masterpiece uh for the JRP genre and I really do hope that everyone at least gives it a chance. I see now I can't move on because you said that. Like I 
I, I also <laughs> think it's – but what, what do you define as giving it a chance? Because I think the game does not put its best foot forward. I, I do think it makes you play no. three no. hours oh, no. of no decision-making. There's no decision-making. A video game – Five hours, but yes, completely agree with that. And the fact that um, for whatever reason it gives you like a week and a half or two weeks every time you do find a bad guy for some arbitrary time limit. And there are plenty of reasons to nitpick out as to why the writing isn't that spectacular. But you're not really going into this game for that writing. You're going into it for the school life simulation for the spending time with your friends and you haven't really made it to that part yet jeff so you haven't really found that that love Um, that's right that's the problem this is the this is the like you gotta watch buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) oh yeah no i I did i watched the whole first season oh the first season is terrible don't watch the first i mean you have to watch the parts of wreck is terrible first season and everything seems to have terrible first seasons but there's a reason why people love those later seasons is that they figure out the characters and the characters are why people love persona i i don't disagree i just think that you say well i hope everyone gives it a chance the giving it a chance is you got to put in a lot of hours so there you go i think it puts a pretty good foot forward though again it's maybe style over substance but the amount of games that we play in today's day and age that are this cool and this hip um right from the get-go there aren't many like it you can pursue of four golden um you know or whatever <laughs> else there is it's so slick and cool that it is it's style over substance for that first six hours or whatever it ends up being i think and this is the problem christian is that i was never cool i don't like cool stuff it's too cool this game's too cool <laughs> maybe and it, it might not be for everybody and that's fine it's okay it doesn't have to be for you um you know, I keep almost bouncing off Zelda. I get it. I get great things aren't for everybody, and that's that's fine. But I'm going to come over to your house. We're going to watch The Crow. We're going to put on. Uh, <laughs> we'll watch the The Crow, Basketball Diaries, Matrix One. We'll listen to. Uh, I don't know what we'll be listening to yet. I but just we'll want to have... dance, Christian. Just let me no, dance. You're not allowed to dance. You got to stand against the wall, looking at all the losers yeah. dancing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was the loser dancing who didn't care. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's uh, use the 15 minutes ago segue that I inadvertently made to Drawn to Death and uh, let you talk a little bit about uh, Drawn to Death, the new David Jaffe joint that just hit. It's free all month long on um, on uh, PSN. Plus. PS yeah, Plus. Right. PS Plus. I don't know. I don't know the PSs. <laughs> uh, tell me what you think. So I, I, can we edit? out a bunch of stuff because i feel like i need to do jaffy proud and swear a whole bunch no you right can't now. you can't do that you can't <laughs> i really i really need to just drop some some expletives so this is the other the game this drops is, plenty of them for you you don't need to do that 100 percent, it does like i feel like this in persona you know it's it's my high school just different different personas of my high school of my my teenage angst showing themselves on very polar opposite scales of things were you the kid uh, that sat in the back and carved slayer into into your desk well i mean it was mostly the stussy logo over and over again <laughs> <laughs> uh and doodled nine inch nails logos and uh you know all that all that good stuff um you know this game also wears its uh heart on its sleeve and then it expects you to stomp that heart and explode it all over somebody else it's very much again i think style over substance at its core right it's a third person arena shooter that that is fine it it seems competent enough it's fine 
Um, but where it either will win people over or lose them is in how it's presented with it, that hand-drawn notebook art style, um, the ridiculous weapons where like Ratchet and Clank would have ridiculous weapons that I think are like fun and full of whimsy of like, yeah, you make the guys dance. <laughs> yeah. This is like, here's a shark. You're like, Oh, what a cute shark. Oh my God. What is that shark doing to that person? <laughs> yeah. And then um, the shark like teabags somebody somehow. And there's a, you know, a giant poop that lands on a face and everyone's blown to bits. And then somebody gives you the middle finger. That's drawn to death. Drawn to death is the middle finger of video games. Yeah, and and just when you think that it's giving you the middle finger, you realize that middle finger has a middle finger, you know? Right, (laughs) middle finger pops a middle finger just to give you a second middle finger. It does what it does, and it it leans really heavily into it. I don't know if, for me, the gameplay has enough of a hook to climb the tower um, in terms of, you know, the the third-person multiplayer action combat that it is. Oh, my dog's getting into something that scared me uh, <laughs> to pull me away from from my multiplayer games that already have their hooks into me. But in terms of like, should you check it out? A hundred percent. Yes. Right. Especially if you're PlayStation Plus. Well, has, frizzles, it, yeah, has it won you over? Does the combat win you over? Or are you kind of just there for the crazy and then you kind of move on? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the perfect explanation of it, because I, you know, I am not looking for another, you know, arena shooter, another third person arena shooter. I, I, that's just not my jam, but I totally admire the level of commitment to this aesthetic. This game is on 11 and it stays on 11 constantly and it's in your face and it's insulting and it's vile and it's, you know, it, it it just revels in being that middle finger. And, uh, it does that really, really well, right? You know, like even the the tutorial is just like this this frog that wants to is just insulting you constantly. And the mechanics, I think, are actually pretty cool. Like it, it's got a, a wonderful mix of just shooter stuff with sort of MOBA style hero abilities, where each character you pick has specific abilities that they they can do and only they can do, and and those feel very varied, <laughs> very varied. And um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of joy to be found there if you're into that if you're into a a arena shooter but for me the the it's it's more like watching a a train wreck you know it's like what it's fascinating to watch the amount of detail that was put into this uh this hand-drawn uh you know kid who who is into metal notebook aesthetic it it, it does a really cool thing right at the beginning of the game it starts with full motion video and you're literally seeing like pov in a classroom and a character looks down and looks at the notebook and then we zoom into the notebook and it it sells that concept really really well and everything is over the top and wild and wacky and and i you know if that's your jam i just don't think the you know disaffected angsty metal kid thing is something that the video game world was severely lacking you know like this one does it better than anything i've ever seen it it goes farther on that tip than any other game but also that's kind of every game you know it's we we've the heavy metal the movie heavy metal has had long and far-reaching influence on video games and to the point where you know okay we don't need more of that but i also admire how far this game goes with it well, that's what I think what we're seeing now is this, and I don't know if we're ready for it. I, I think I, I forget the exact tweet or social media post that I put out, but it was some version of, you know, we all think we miss the 90s, the crazy 90s arcade shooter, and but do we? 
And we're seeing, a, I think it's because a lot of people that, you know, either were young in programming and making games have now grown up or people that were playing games are now making them. And there's that the cyclical nature of nostalgia where people are finding themselves nostalgic for that. And it was very much that, you know, Duke Nukem, when Duke Nukem came out, he wasn't um, as self-aware as he would be today. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, that's how things were, right? Like, even Quake and and uh, a lot of these Unreal back then, too. It's just, it was over-the-top 90s. The guy didn't have a, a green mohawk as a commentary for, you know, rebelling. It's just like, it was the 90s, dude, and you had a demolition man, and you had a mohawk and a purple vest, and this was cool, and here's my heavy metal guitar, and now we're going to things are going to be bloody. And I think we're seeing that come back as nostalgia with a little bit of irony and maybe uh, satirical critique laid into it. But I'm also not sure if if we want that, <laughs> if we really want it, or if we just kind of miss being young and carefree. Andrew, I want to hit uh, anything else you might have on your playlist that you want to bring up. Uh, the big one, I guess, for me is I'm for my... Uh... AD Game Club, our game of this month is Undertale, because somehow, even though it's this huge indie darling, I had missed it. And uh, my best friend David said that it's one of his favorite games, so we're now playing it. And have you either of you played Undertale? I played a fair amount of it. Um, it's interesting. My 12-year-old nephew it, it like knows this game backwards and forwards. Every kid is like an encyclopedia of Undertale. He knows the songs that have become memes. He knows every character's reactions. He knows the different endings. He, he knows everything. I don't think he's ever even played it. He just watches what? it being played. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a culture that I will never understand watching a game be played. But yeah. Um, no, I, I've been having fun with it. It's not the JRPG I was a style. Like, it's based off of a guy who, or, I can't remember his name, but he made some mods for Earthbound and was just a big fan of Earthbound. And so he made his own game, Undertale. And you can see that Earthbound love, but then when you're actually doing the combat, it's that uh, bullet hell yeah. style of having to dodge everything. And I suck at that. <laughs> so I've, I've been getting stuck a couple of times on a couple of these boss fights, but it's been fun. Well, I think the and real the writing is pretty good. Yeah, the, the real fun mechanic of undertale is that you, you can literally go through the entire game and not kill anybody you can you know sort yes. of like you know befriend they and make love. you feel terrible for killing anyone yeah <laughs> it's a pretty pretty clever way of doing it too uh definitely a game to uh you know to to check out if you if you're not familiar with it and i think it's pretty inexpensive now too right uh, probably ten dollars yeah all right, guys, let's move on now. Um, no VR talk this week. Uh, we are going to bring the triumphant return of tabletop time. But first, I do need to thank our other sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. And Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, super fast 40 GPS network, Automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step -step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% .9 uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including... 5x5, the network that you're listening to right now. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, 
Choose your favorite Linux distro and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Linode has a huge announcement. They are now offering one gigabyte plans for five bucks. High memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes for 60 bucks a month and an upgrade to store in storage from 24 gigabytes to 30 gigabytes on our two gigabyte plan for just 10 bucks. So all you got to do to get a $20 credit for Linode is go to Linode.com and put in the promo code DLC. Actually, that's Linode.com slash DLC. That's important. Linode.com slash DLC. Promo code DLC. Get yourself a $20 credit and uh, show your support for the show, which is really important for us. Linode, simple, powerful, reliable. All right, we got quick questions coming up. We got bonus content, two two styles of bonus content, including our spoiler talk for Horizon Zero Dawn about the end of that game. So much fun. My interview from uh, Heroes of the Dorm, which was an awesome Heroes of the Storm uh, live competition I went to in Las Vegas, Nevada this week. Awesome, um, Jeff. I have last week's episode included at the end of this week's episode. Don't even joke because you are the one that adds new episodes. <laughs> I'm not. If you miss, there's both. These are both very short. This is very short. Very short. If you missed two weeks ago, it's included at the end of this episode. So just stay tuned. Right now, right now. It's the one way I know that can shut Christian up is the tabletop time segment starts. Guys, I have been playing some games I really want to talk about with you uh-huh. guys right now. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> sure you have. Uh, you I'm Mermaid excited. Island, played Zingo, Bingo with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I'll, I, I said, will uh, excuse myself for the next yeah, little bit. <laughs> go play with your dog. Um, <laughs> Andrew, I'm very excited you're here. Uh, tabletop time returns because you are an avid board gamer and i'm excited to talk about some of the games that you have been playing where do you want to start uh most recently uh my friends and i have been playing risk legacy so we can start there how many months into the risk legacy campaign are you i don't think it's months but it's four we've played four games so far well that's they're demarcated by oh risk i'm sorry i was thinking pandemic legacy pardon me pandemic a year and a half ago and that was amazing and why we went and picked up risk legacy okay cool no i'm sorry i was i was just assuming it was pandemic but risk legacy (laughs) is the is the legacy game that started it all um Yeah. yeah very cool um that one I also played, and uh, it's so much more cutthroat, right? Risk is already a cutthroat game. It's one of those friend-enders that, uh, you know, you started, why are you attacking me? Stop attacking me. Um, But now with the legacy concepts, even worse, because people get to, like, write their name on the board and take over areas and, and, you know, physically affect future games. So how are you finding that adventure? It's it's been great. The... Our very first game, uh, the whole legacy concept, everyone was like, oh, we need to form packs and alliances. And that allowed uh, someone to take over all of North America and then just destroy everyone else. So now he's no longer allowed into an alliance. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the the last game we played, uh, I finally won my first match. Um, And it was by trapping someone inside Australia being able to just limit them there, wipe them out, and then I was just had to take one more. And that's one of the things that I think was genius is that 
there there's that balance of if you haven't won yet you have that starting victory point which then makes it easier compared to those who have already won uh the people who have yet to won win have that extra bonus point already towards yeah. winning so it it really does help so far we haven't had anyone win twice but that that is going to happen pretty soon so right. we're excited to see what changes after that it's so cool because you know Rob Davio, uh, the designer of the game, talks about how the the impetus for the idea came from the fact that Risk was already a game where like you play one game, and you're like, oh my god, that guy screwed me. I'm gonna remember that, and I'm gonna kill him next game. And or or you know, people are like, I you know, let's all gang up on Bill because Bill screwed us last game. And he's like, well, yeah. it's a brand new game. Who cares? And the idea that it actually does carry over now, and so those grudges or those uh you know those those uh, alliances whatever can persist and are built into the structure of the legacy concept i think you know it's such a cool cool thing but i don't i don't think for me it is as fun as pandemic legacy just because the like the group all trying for the same goal and persisting through time i find it to be much less stressful and much less uh, angst inducing you know so my wife, uh, we're finally, I didn't get to play with my wife for uh, re, uh, the Pandemic Legacy. She's not a big fan of the um, co-op style games where it's the players versus the board. Uh, she feels like uh, the board games that are worth playing are the ones that, um, there's a winner. There's one winner. So that that's, and also Risk allows for five players. So it's been great that I've been able to play this uh game with my wife uh Lindsay. i i, res- I respect that i respect that a lot i think that's awesome very cool yeah. um i want to hear you talk a little bit about above and below because this is a game i haven't had a chance to try really? yet but um i'm a huge fan of ryan lockett ryan lockett is the uh designer and artist he's a kind of a one-man band he he creates his games from scratch does all of the work on them and uh it, it's very impressive the the stuff that he has put together above and below is got this fun story concept um, where you're actually, you know, creating a narrative over time. Uh, Tell me a little bit about playing above and below. So this is, I would have described it as a um, worker placement style of game uh, mixed with a little bit of a city building where your, your uh, above segment is primarily you're collecting your workers, you're keeping them rested and, um, buying or building things around your village. Uh, But then you're also, the story mechanic is going below and going on these short uh, story adventures where random things can happen. You can run into uh, or find random things. And based on the people that you have uh, hired and brought with you on that journey below, will determine what kind of dice and what kind of... um, uh, options you have open when you're rolling so there's a lot of luck but there's also a lot of mitigation you can decide to bring a whole lot of villagers with you uh with high points to make sure that uh you'll definitely get that prize or maybe you're down on you only have two villagers left at the end of this round and you're like i'm going to just go for it see what happens and maybe you'll come out with at least a little bit of something and it's it's a lot of fun and yeah the story aspect where each time you go down you have no idea what's going to happen it it's great and the art is fantastic i mean i I think this it's a beautifully designed game graphically uh and um 
you know, I, I've been itching to play it. I haven't had a chance yet, but, uh, you know, he's the guy that did uh, City of Iron, which is a really cool game. Islebound, uh, Empires of the Void. These are these are all excellent games. So his designs uh, are always uh, on my radar, and I just haven't had a chance to try this one. But I'm glad to hear you liked it. Oh, yes. I highly recommend you check it out when you can. Again, that's called Above and Below. Uh, anything else that you've been putting on the table? Uh, the last one that's been getting a lot of play for our group was Secret Hitler. Right. Yeah, this is the uh, the, the Kickstarter darling that made all kinds of crazy money. Um, and uh, it was a, the Cards Against Humanity folks made this, right? I don't know that one. I think that I think that's the truth, but I could be wrong. Anyway, um, now that we actually have you know not so secret Hitlers in the world uh, all over the place, is is this game still fun? <laughs> it still is fun. Just being able to yell at your friends, calling them fascists, whether they are or not. It, there's nothing else that can really beat that in a group setting with maybe a couple of drinks. I think that's called <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> fair but not really face to face but right. here's another one that could possibly end friendships right. um <laughs> just the amount of yelling the amount of no he's lying no she's lying and just uh it, it's it's a game that i restrict myself to only playing two rounds per night because otherwise it just gets too heated in my opinion Fair enough. Well, I'm glad to have been able to talk about some tabletop time with you. And uh, as I said, we will always bring back this segment when our guests are uh, are into that stuff. So it's awesome to have a guest that is. And uh, I appreciate it. All right. Christian can come back. I don't know if somebody wants to send a, a, a carrier pigeon to his house or something. Uh, but we can move on now to quick questions. Quick, 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 quick. Big, fun, exciting stuff for quick questions because we have awards to give out, or not awards, rewards, I should say, rewards for the folks that have uh, uh, submitted quick questions. You can always submit quick questions to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or also check out the sticky thread on our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All the folks that had uh, questions that are selected this week and next week are getting codes for uh, outside the park or out the out of the park baseball uh, the uh, the critical darling the lauded series of uh, baseball simulators uh, this is a, a really cool game and we're excited to be able to give out codes for it so uh, all four of the folks that whose quick questions we picked today are getting codes for that. Uh, and uh, one more week, we'll be able to do that next week as well. So if you want to submit quick questions and get yourself a free game, all you got to do is so- send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or post them in the subreddit. Okay. This one comes from Christian Spicer. <laughs> Crazy how that worked out. Um, <laughs> Actually, all hey, four Jeff. of them are from, from Christian's quick, family? Quick question, Jeff. What do I have to do to get one of them codes? Thanks so much, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the questions were like, guys, quick question. Can I have a code? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I can't argue. That is a quick question. Um, all right, quick question. Brian H. asks, uh, did you guys spend time growing up in traditional arcades? If so, what did you drop the most quarters in? Andrew? I didn't spend a whole lot of time in a traditional arcade, but there was one that had a couple machines, and when I had a chance, I'd play Miss Pac-Man. Nice. Miss Pac-Man's always a good a good one. Christian, what about you? 
Yeah, I mean, I think like the traditional arcade, and then also the the beauty of it is that the a traditional arcade was also just the stop and go I could ride my bike to, and yeah. they had a Street yeah. Fighter Two cabinet and a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade cabinet that were kind of in the heaviest rotation there. And then when I was in the Bay Area in middle school, the Pizza Place Round Table, shout out, um, they the had last honest pizzas, Christian. There's one here near my house now. I keep inviting you to come to Round Table. I have not been, but I I could. Dude, I love Round Table. I we'll drive out here, then. Let's go to the roundtable. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Everybody's invited. Andrew, get in your car. But, Jeff, get in your car. Christian, I think by rule, we have to first play a game of soccer. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that the rule? And then you have to have uh, Orange Crush as the drink. It, it was baseball for me, but yeah, of course. S- same same difference. But they had in Danville, shout outs. I don't know if there's still a roundtable there, but they had one of the first Mortal Kombat 2 cabinets uh, in the area. So that place was packed. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that. The most quarters was probably some iteration of Street Fighter (laughs) over the years, whatever board they had. I I don't I don't even know how to begin to approach this question, because all I did, it was either spend time in arcades or want to be spending time in arcades. That's all I ever did. I there was a 7-Eleven by my house that had Strider for a long time, and I would literally ride my bike there every day to try to get farther in strider because i thought strider was the coolest game ever buy some airheads play some strider Ugh, the best dude uh there was a bowling alley that i could get to relatively easily from my house i didn't care about bowling all i wanted to do was play bad dudes because there was the only place that had bad dudes the data east game the prequel to bad hombres which is a current game oh man <laughs> bad hombres that's a yeah uh don't get political christian um Wait, you you started? No, I'm just kidding. That's what I was. That's the irony of what I was saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, uh, I mean, I, everything, everything, everything. I mean, I, I Chuck E. Cheese was like where I wanted all my birthday parties because I could play. Now Chuck E. Cheese is stupid, but back then, what's, Chuck e. what's your most quarter? What do you think you dropped the, the most dimes on? I don't even I can't even begin to guess. I mean, there was like a time when I I would put ten dollars of quarters in a in a game to try to get to the end of it. You know, Teenage Ninja Turtles or Bad Dudes. I mean, Street Fighter. I played. So much of, um, I mean, might be Street Fighter that I put them. I mean, like even like The Simpsons. Uh, there's so many games that I. Yeah, this is not a quick answer question, by the way. This is no, us waxing poetic about yeah. NBA Jam, Nintendo USA. So um, many. Mm. All right. Um, quick question. This one comes from Data is Power. Uh, what game or games have your favorite soundtrack or score? Recent classic doesn't matter. What are the ones that pop into your head? This is a special one for you, Christian. But we'll start with uh, Andrew. What do you think? The so we brought it up earlier. This game or this uh, show. I love the soundtrack for "The World Ends with You." I it amazing soundtrack. But also other favorites: Shadow of the Colossus, Metal Gear Solid, and the Persona series. All great. Christian, you're like Mister Game Soundtracks. You you buy them on vinyl. You interview their creators. It's like your it's like your favorite thing. I mean, yeah, behind me right now are is the Uncharted Collection, Uncharted 4, and Last of Us um, box set. So I kind of, Naughty Dog has some pretty killer uh, scores. The one that jumps out to me right now, and there are, of course, classic ones that, I mean, oh, God, now I'm thinking about um, Donkey Kong. Those are so, those are incredible, right? Oh, my, there's those are incredible. The SNES, Donkey, incredible. Um, but the, the most recent one that I, I play far too often is doom doom 2016 is so good you're angry 
you just got out of traffic, you're going to the gym, you're trying to, you know, lay down a, a quick run. It's such a good, it's such a good score. It's, ah, uh, yeah, Doom right now is my answer. That's very cool. The first thing that popped into my head, of course, was Halo, just because like when I think of scores in video games, I think of, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I I don't think I pay attention to them as much as I should. I certainly don't pay attention to them as much as you do, Christian. How does Tetris go? Uh, Tetris, 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 <laughs> Tetris, 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 Tetris. Isn't that isn't that Mario? No, no that's. Yeah. I think the Doom soundtrack is Doom, 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 <laughs> Doom, 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 Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, there's so many great ones, right? It's it's with you forever. A, yeah. a great a great score soundtrack is with you forever. All right, quick question. This one comes from Robert Peacock. He says, uh, "Forever listener to DLC." He said, "In the last year, I've been I began collecting video game systems and games. Do you collect? And if so, what are your favorite items in gaming? My most prized item is an unopened Maniac Mansion for the NES that I purchased for under twenty bucks. Andrew, do you collect? I if I collect anything, I just don't want to ever sell games that I plan to play again. <laughs> right. Yeah, even if the system is out of date and everything, you're just never going to get rid of it. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of DS and PlayStation 2 games that I don't know how I would play at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point. But it's kind of it just feels like I want this object in my life still. Yeah. Uh, Christian, do you collect anything? If my wife is listening, no, of course not. Um, if, she, if she's not listening, um, I, I look fondly at my sealed super mario brothers 3 um yeah that, that's my favorite i, Have you I seen don't all these disney infinity bargains that you can get now i, I thought you I, would be all over that unfortunately i have all of those guys are <laughs> oh do you really <laughs> i've already i spent real money on those I, sh- I should have waited for the failure um the thing that i keep waiting for and i've almost bought twice but didn't is the one that i think everybody is kind of looking at is panzer dragoon saga um i i mm, I've played version burned versions of that game that are never great, and I've always liked to have it for my collection. And I probably should have bought it when I could have for two fifty. Now it seems to be around four fifty, but that's that's one that you know the next like bonus or good news day I get kind of thing. I always kind of linger over on those eBay shops. <laughs> Saturn, right? Correct. Yeah, I collect VR headsets. <laughs> <laughs> I currently have a complete collection of them, guys. Uh, so. I'm working on that. Yeah. But yeah, I try to get, you know, have fewer things in my life these days. But uh, th- there's that collecting gene that never really goes away. Once you're a comic book collector, it just sticks with you. There's a comedian in town. I won't do the bit, but I'll just say the premise to ruin it if you see it. But he talks about being a dad and how he hates uh, his kids love Pokemon. And the theme song, as we all know, is got to catch them all. And he just wishes it would be a more uh, responsible one. Like, what you have is enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The, the Pokemon theme song is Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon. Um, Okay, my favorite uh, quick question that uh, that I've I've gotten so far since we started doing this. Uh, I love this question. It comes from Brandon from Louisville, Kentucky. He says, "I was wondering what systems, especially popular ones, you find yourself ignoring in systems-heavy games." So we're not talking about video game systems. We're talking about like mechanics, systems inside games. A recent example is creating elixirs in Breath of the Wild. I use the recipe system all the time for health recovery, but have yet to create even one elixir. Also, other than collecting a few, I almost never use horses to get around. 
Man, this is me to a T. A- Andrew, what is what is your take on this? Do, are there systems and games you don't use? If there's consumables, uh, for example, Persona, you're constantly getting consumables. I won't touch any of them. I always feel like I have to save them for that boss fight that I then beat without using consumables. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. I I will I will murder myself taking down an enemy with a the crappiest weapon in Zelda because I don't want I want to save my good weapon. But why? Yeah. I'm just going to get I'm going to get to the point where like oh I can't pick up anything else because I've been saving this stupid good weapon for a while. I'm this weird I'm just born with conservation in my genes. Like I I don't want to use the health potion. I don't want to use the thing. I will uh, I will have a whole backpack full of crap that doesn't I don't use. And I'm the same thing with the horses. Like I will walk around that game not using horses because I put them all in the stables. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, Christian, how about you? We talk about it a little bit in uh, the Horizon chat at the end. Um, but for me, it's oftentimes merchants. Like I I'm, I seldom will buy something. I was like, no, no, the game will give me what I need. Right. I'm not going to. No, these rupees or, you know, whatever this income. No, no, no. I'm hoarding all of it. And I just, yeah, I feel weird buying or like what well, i'm gonna need this this heart of the desert at some point later i'm not gonna trade it now for a weapon that's just a little bit better i very very seldomly engage with with in-game merchants and games and i probably should more even resident evil 4 is like you want to buy it and it's like you'll need a shotgun to progress you want to buy it no i'm good <laughs> well, the, yeah the, the the thing that that is so bad about those games mass effect was a recent example is you'll go to a merchant and they're like i have weapon it costs 400 i'm like oh i have 400 but is weapon worth 400? Is it good? Am I going to need right. 400 for something else that is actually a quest that I need to finish? Or, do you know, will I just find a weapon that is better than the weapon for 400? Um, I'm just not going to worry about it. You start the mission. It's like, here's 500 weapon. You're like, well, crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or we, you know, you need 350 to buy the thing in order to complete the quest. I was like, I just spent the 400 I had. So, yeah. Then the bigger one for me that is I just I'm an idiot um, and why I like Bloodborne more than Dark Souls is block. I very seldomly use block effectively. I'm like, I don't need it. Do I have a roll? Great. Here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. I was watching some videos online of um, uh, of people playing Breath of the Wild using, you know, the shield block thing. And I was like, oh, I'm clearly not using this right <laughs> because this is OP and these guys are amazing at it. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that video of the the dude taking down the um, oh, what's his name, the big uh, lion, half lion centaur yeah, dude, it's like um, li- Linor or no, Lin- something. Like yeah, it begins with an L. Yeah, Lin- but he didn't get Lin- hit, Lin- right? Linel. Yeah, no hit, just toying with the dude. He d- he kills him with a tree branch. It's like, come on. That's pretty much exactly how it is when I face them, except the exact opposite. Right. Yeah, you no hit. <laughs> I got on the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, has been Quick Questions. And congratulations to everybody that got a free game for sending in those questions. Keep sending them. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Remember, we have lots of bonus content. Christian says too much, but you know what, guys? I care about you too much. That's why I want to give you more content. Christian would deny it. But your bonus content just wears its heart on its sleeve. It's just like, oh, I love heroes so much. Like, I want to find that out through the nuance of the conversation, (laughs) Jeff. Uh, 
I'm an angsty kid. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, Andrew, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you again for inviting me. Uh, Andrew Raxter, where, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, right now, there's a Facebook group for AD Game Club, but otherwise, I don't do Twitter. So that's about it. Probably, probably smart. Probably smarter yeah. for you in the long run. Well, let me catch you up real quick. You idiot! Oh, I hate you! The world's the worst! Hey, this game's cool. You idiot! There you go. Are you spoiling Persona 5 right now? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Catching him up on a couple of years worth of Twitter. Oh, fair enough. Same Z's. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, at least 20 more minutes. The other kind of geek centric podcast I do. A new episode will be coming out tomorrow at 5 a.m. Pacific time. Um, oh God, I don't even remember what last week's was. It was good though. And, uh, there's going to be some bonus episodes dropping there too when, when those, when those hit. Uh, be excited. They're, they're fun. They're planned out. You can find it at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. Uh, I'm getting back into, um, Overwatch. And I'm I'm still not good at it, but I want to be a better support character, and I'll be streaming that on uh, Caffeine mostly, which is just TV, caffeine.tv slash Spicer. I think it will be like Tuesdays at 11 Pacific, and then uh, like midnight, and then Thursday mornings, like breakfast, like midnight snack, and then breakfast and Overwatch to try to get back into that game, give me an excuse to play it. And I have a parenting podcast, Department of Parenting. You can find everything at departmentofparenting.com. I host it with Chris Quintos. We are on once a week. They come out on Wednesdays right now while she's out of the country, but we will get back to our Tuesday, Thursday release schedule soon. And then I have a couple stand-up albums you can find. We're All Gonna Die is my newest one. You can find it on iTunes and all that good stuff. Mr. Kanata, what about you? I am also streaming on Caffeine. And people are like, why Caffeine? Well, it's easy. It's easy. Also, uh, my friend Alex Albrecht is uh, an advisor for the company. So uh, it's just so simple. You just turn it on. It's great. So uh, I've been streaming my Heroes of the Storm play. I had a rough week last week. Oof, on the stream. Oof, rough. But I, uh, I I jumped in there for a second, and not only did it look like you're having a rough week, I jump. I mean, a, a rough time. I jumped in after you had been already having a rough few games. And if you ever want to see. You know, Jeff, as he talks about being frustrated in Heroes, like, you should do it more. It's really entertaining. I, I liked watching you defeat it. <laughs> oh, I was crushed. Yeah, it was rough. Um, but I'm home. We're going to be doing lots more of that. And that's caffeine.tv slash Jeff Uh Also, I have several other shows for you. A daily video game show. If you want to hear me talk about games every single day, you can find that on Anchor. Uh, anchor.fm slash NLB for newest, latest, best. That's my... Uh, Brief, quick, hit, daily show. A lot of fun stuff there. And uh, you can hear me talk about movies and TV shows on the Slash Filmcast. We're going to be reviewing an, a Netflix exclusive called The Discovery uh, this week. That's at uh, SlashFilmcast.com. I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. More about that shortly. Uh, again, bonus content coming up, but let's right now get to our parting gift. Andrew, do you have a parting gift to help people get through their week? Of course. I had originally planned to tell people to go read the Red Rising trilogy of books, but then last night I went to see Your Name in theaters, and I was blown away by this movie. Uh, yeah. And 
I, if you are okay with an animated drama that will pull at your heart, but then make you laugh at the same time, I highly recommend checking this movie while it's still in theaters. Absolutely fantastic. Limited release. It's a massive hit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see it myself because I love anime. Christian. No, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I honestly am very excited to <laughs> see it. I'm not being sarcastic. I really am genuinely very excited to see it. Um, the last line I said was was meant for comedic effect, but I do uh, very very excited to see it. Uh, Christian, what's your parting gift? Uh, Planet Earth Two. I keep meaning to mention it. It's you know run on the BBC is 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 over. You can buy it on on Blu-ray. I don't know if they did a 4K release or not, but it's stunning. And talk about also something that um, will pull at your heartstrings. It never really makes you laugh, but it will make you cry <laughs> um, quite a few times. But Man, it's gorgeous, and our Earth is so precious. Um, and Planet Earth Two, it it does it so well. So yeah, check it out. We have a listener submitted parting gift. Uh, this is for you, Christian. This is for you because I love you. I put these things in. I don't edit out stuff that's not for me. This is a uh, parting gift from listener Chris, who sent this to DLCfeedback at gmail dot com. He says, uh, "I think this is something for Christian. Sorry, Jeff." I listen to lots of music, and I'm always excited when one of you, often Christian, talks about a new band. I've recently discovered a new band, and I immediately loved them, so I thought I have to give something back to you guys. The band is called The Amazons. They uh, they just released – oh, they have not released their first studio album yet, but it's on the way and should be in stores in June. But they have released a few singles slash EPs, and they are all amazing. Their music reminds me of The Foles. Great guitars, great vocals. You immediately want to rock. I hope you like it too. So thanks for sending that, Chris. Do you know of the Amazons, Christian? I did not until now, but I, I knew about Amazon um, and yeah, Amazon Wayne like, uh, all the other versions of the Amazon. Doesn't seem like they picked that name for SEO, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they will always lose out, but I'm, I'm excited to check them out. It's like one of my favorite bands is uh, Stars. Good luck ever finding them uh, if you search. <laughs> Not smart. Not smart. Uh, my parting gift uh, is uh, I went to Vegas this weekend for um, here's the here's the dorm, and I got a chance to go see David Copperfield in Vegas. Now Vegas is a place that you know there's no shortage of things you can do with your entertainment dollar, uh, and there are a lot of amazing shows, particularly if you're into Cirque du Soleil like I am. I would not have probably made time to see David Copperfield had it not been for my friend Reza, who was a very enthusiastic Uber fan. We went and man, it was a blast. It was an amazing show. I mean, I mean, I had my mouth agape. I actually got to participate. He pulled me up on stage at one point and I did, did some fun stuff. Uh, really, really great show. Funnier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I only knew David Copperfield from his like eighties and nineties TV specials, right? Which feel all self serious and, and everything. And it's just much more fun than that. Uh, and, uh, I was legitimately amazed. So if you find yourself in Vegas. Hmm? I, I saw him in high school with a girl I oh was trying to impress so hard, um, and he was amazing then. So it was, he flew, pulled a woman out, and flew through. A, the guy he sold a soul to the devil, and he's yeah, so talented. It's incredible. Right? I mean, he. I don't want to spoil anything for people that might go see the show, but there are a few moments where I was I literally exclaimed, "What? How?" Uh, so that's what you want. Also, just a, a, a quick side note: uh, something fun as a parting gift too. Um, just this morning, uh, a fan by the name of Sean Bartlett sent a link for an animation that he did of a bit of one of my, we, we have concerns episodes that I do with Anthony Carboni. 
And it is amazing. It's like Anthony and I as Saturday morning cartoon characters. It's so well done and it's really, really fun and funny, I think. It's called uh, WHC Face the Truth. And uh, you can find a link to that on my Twitter at Jeff Kanata. I urge you guys to watch it. It's, it's very short, but it is so rad. So thank you, Sean, if you're listening for that. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thanks again to Sean Rack, or excuse me, <laughs> Sean, uh, Andrew Raxter and uh, Christian Spicer for uh, being here. And thanks to you guys for listening. We do have bonus content coming up, so don't switch off quite yet. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Uh, so tell me your names and titles, please. Yeah, I am Sam Braithwaite, and I'm the esports franchise lead for Heroes of the Storm. Great. I am Adam Rosen. I am the co-founder of TESPA and lead for Heroes of the Storm. Very cool. This is uh, an amazing event already. I'm, I'm having a blast. I went to the first one, missed the second one, and here we are at the third year of Heroes of the Storm. Uh, what have you guys learned coming into year three that, that has changed over the, the last three seasons of Heroes of the totally. Dorm? Totally. Uh, you know, it's really interesting looking back at the evolution of Heroes of the Dorm because I think we learn a lot every time we do it. One of the foundational things, though, that we, we keep expanding on is just the idea that Heroes of the Dorm, because it's a collegiate tournament, because it's pulling in these traditional rivalries that so many people can relate to, really serves as an entry point for newer fans and people who maybe aren't hardcore esports fans right now but love games. Um, there's this lower barrier of entry because they may know about LSU, right? Or they, they may uh, have some sort of affiliation with Kentucky. So they come in um, and they get hooked because of that. So one of the things that we've spent a lot of effort trying to improve this year is really focusing on storylines that are driven by stats. Making sure that out of all of these teams competing, we can uh, pull out what the really interesting stories are. Maybe uh, less than maybe Kentucky, just no one believes in, right? Which is the case. No one believed Kentucky would make it to the finals. Um, maybe UT Arlington has the shortest game length, and that's driven by their their hyper-aggressive style. Um, so what we've done is we have a team that's really sorting through all of, all of these stats, all of this data, trying to come up with what cool story elements are, and then building personas around these teams that even for fans who don't maybe know heroes yet or uh, follow the game really hardcore can jump in and fall in love because of that because there's some hook that they're relatable so that's one of the major things that we've uh, focused on this last year and then along with that all of the engagement opportunities it, it seems like blizzard has really understood that regionality is going to be a big part of getting people into esports and uh, we're seeing that with overwatch with the you know the leagues like attached to cities like yeah. professional sports teams um but even with hgc i think the regionality of it and having you know i'm i'm rooting for na people are rooting for yeah. eu the, can you speak to the the sort of regionality aspect of it and how that can be reinforced yeah, so I mean, when we specifically look at HGC, it's it's all about breaking it up so that you're able to root for and feel a part of a, a program or a league, right? And when you feel more associated to something, you're more likely to tune in. And one of the things that we really wanted to do with HGC and why we set it up the way we did is looking back at last year, we never saw the top team from North America and the top team from Europe ever play against each other in 2016 for Heroes of the Storm. And... You know, for, for, for me and for us, that, that, that's not acceptable. You know, like we think that that rivalry is what drives uh, 
the not only people watching, but how fun it is. And so we kind of developed the program to be able to uh, not only just push those regional rivalries, but actually like propel them to greater heights with the Western Clash and the Eastern Clash and the programs that we've created. Uh, we think that regional rivalries are really important, and, and finding and having teams to root for is important. And by not only doing that, but putting out a consistent schedule, we're seeing that fans are able to not only be attached to teams, but they tune in more and they watch more because they have that extra level of engagement. Yeah, there's a connection. Um, I'm curious about the idea of uh, collegiate esports in general, in the sense that I think there is a stigma still with video games that doesn't exist with more traditional sports. You know, yeah. even even a sport like lacrosse or something where nobody's ever going to turn pro in it. People are already going to be supportive of you going and competing on a yeah, you know, totally. during the week and missing classes or whatever. What what is the process of making you know tr- transcending that speed bump and, and figuring out how to how to bridge that gap with just you know normal people and parents? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've seen is that when students are playing games on campus, they're really playing games as a way to interact, right? A way to socialize with others. It's not necessarily they're going back and they're spending their day playing games alone in a dark corner, not interacting with the world. We find that it's actually that social interaction that drives it. And along with that, what we're seeing is these students are taking this thing that they're so passionate about and they're creating communities around it. So if we look at TESPA, for example, which is a network of collegiate organizations on 220 campuses in the U.S. and Canada, um, we're seeing all of these students come together and learn a whole ton of these really amazing life skills and leadership skills um, by hosting big events, by flying out players, by organizing communities. And we think that the more that we can highlight those things, uh, the more that we kind of get around the stigma. Um, Another thing that I'd add is that the group that we have playing games right now and the group that we have competing, um, they're really highly technical and they're really, really in tune with uh, science and technology, right? 70% of the students in the round of 64 are STEM majors. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really special thing because yeah. it, it indicates like, hey, you know, these aren't kids who are going out and wasting their time. These are people who are going to go out and be very influential in their careers and in society. And gaming is one of the tools that they use to stay connected with each other and to engage with each other. So I think every Every event like Heroes of the Dorm that we do, we chip away at that that stigma that is that is there. But I think we're very quickly seeing it start to disappear. And some schools are doing that too, right? We're seeing UCI as as a great example of a school that's embracing esports as a a, a um, um, scholarship worthy thing, yeah. right? Can you talk about that and that acceptance and, and are we going to see more of that across the country? Absolutely. So I think it's really special because not only is UCI, so most people when they talk about UCI, they talk about the scholarship teams, which I think is great. And it's a huge step forward and something I think we will see more of. But they're also looking at esports as a comprehensive subject matter, right? They're actually um, doing research on esports. They're starting academic courses around esports. They're building arenas on their campus where students can come and play together. And I think I think when we look at that level, how they're embracing it from all of those different angles, it really speaks to, I think, the opportunity that they see within esports. It's not only a way of engaging their students, but also as a way of attracting more and uh, more talent from around the world. So um, are we going to see more of it? Yes. And we're already seeing it. Even this week, we've had um, another university come out, um, University of Utah, say, hey, we are going to release uh, a scholarship program for our students. So they've kicked that off. 
Um, looking at Heroes of the Dorm, we've actually had all of the Heroic Four universities publicly get behind their teams, support them, um, promote them, tweet about them. Awesome. Uh, so it's really cool to see that because we didn't have that three years ago. We didn't have that two years ago. So with every year that goes by, we're seeing more and more of the public acceptance and not only acceptance, but um, really public embracing, uh, embracing of all of these teams at the college level. So I think if we're looking five years out, we're going to see most major universities with official esports programs supporting and scholarshiping students full time. That's pretty amazing. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, you know getting into? I feel like this event is one where you watch it and you think, "Hey, I could do that. I could get my buddies together and we could we could play and we can compete." The level of play is 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 akin to you know a, uh, a professional sports level difference between the average player. But HGC, right? There is a, a way for a team to get an, into professional level play yeah. just by merit, just by earning it, just because I and my friends got good enough. Yeah. You yeah. talk about that level of openness and, and what that means? Yeah, so when we were developing the HGC, we were really looking at, we wanted to solve an issue, which was we wanted to create a clear path to becoming a pro gamer. Like you said, it's it's different to be really, really good at the game, and you could be one of the best people, but if there's not a, a system set up to where somebody that is good can, can find their way and feed into that, it's really difficult. And so Heroes of the Dorm, and not only that, but our open division that we announced, which is uh, every week we have a series of online tournaments to where at the end of 14 weeks, the top teams get a face-off or a chance to get into the HGC. And one of the things that I think is super cool is that we, uh, Adam and I partnered up this year to really figure out how do we make the two programs work together? Um, if we look at last year, we had the uh, Korean Spring Championship, uh, the World Championship for Heroes Are Pro, and then the next weekend after was Heroes of the Dorm. And we found that it was really difficult for us to really pay uh, a lot of focus and attention to our events when they were so close to each other. And so one of the things that we did is nobody that participates in HGC can participate in Heroes of the Dorm and vice versa. We wanted to make, excuse me, we wanted to make it so that uh, somebody's not practicing on two different teams. We, we really want to make it so, like you said, the teams that are competing at Dorm are at that highest level and the teams competing in HGC are at the highest level. And uh, one of the cool biases that I have going into this tournament is I'm rooting for UTA because UTA is number one team right now on the open division leaderboard for HGC North America. They're very vocal that they want to be in the HGC and they want to compete in it. And I'm really, really proud to be a part of Heroes that we have the ecosystem to where somebody on a collegiate level can go compete, get recognized, win on a big stage, and then have that be a clear path to then getting introduced to the pro scene. Right. Like it, it, it's, it's great that we're able to have that within our game. It's, it, you know, it's very similar to the NCAA moving into the pros, right? You're, you're, you know, you're a star here, and maybe that can translate into the pro level. It's really cool. Um, Heroes is a game that, that moves very quickly, uh, is updated very fast, and changes often. Are there challenges in creating an event like this with a game that is constantly in flux like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we've, we've learned from our mistakes, and so one of the things that we were able to kick off this year is a tournament realm. And so if you actually look at Heroes of the Dorm right now, they're playing on a previous patch, the Lucio patch, because we wanted to make sure that they had the most competitive environment possible. We don't want to make it to where the teams that are facing off in the round of 16 and the round of 8 have to relearn a 
new character or balance right. patches, or maybe uh, their trademark heroes got changed, and now what do I do going into Heroic 4? Mm -hmm. um, we very much recognize that, yeah, the game changes all the time, and it's our job to make sure that we're providing the most competitively safe environment to where we can kind of get the most out of the players and make sure that they're putting on the best show possible and that they're uh, getting everything they need in order to succeed. And we're seeing this this year, you know, Here's the Dorm was on ESPN for a while. This year, uh, exclusive to Facebook Live. Yep. Can you explain that decision? What, what was that about? Is, is that a, an attempt to open yeah. it up to a wider audience, people that might not already be yeah. watching? One sports? of the things that we look at Heroes of the Dorm for is really, uh, I think Heroes of the Dorm is very well positioned to reach new audiences and to reach fans who maybe aren't aware of how much they would enjoy esports if they were exposed to it. So um, Heroes of the Dorm has always really been a pioneer in that front. Um, and this year we think that Facebook is offers tremendous reach, right? tremendous access to uh, fan bases that all over the world, globally, right? But also um, reaching these core audiences that already have shown their affiliations to various teams, right? So I think it's cool that within communities that pre-exist on Facebook, maybe an LSU fan page or a Kentucky fan page, that we can integrate our broadcast and create these really, really amplify those rivalries that we're creating by integrating so closely with Facebook. So um, it's, it's about reach and it's about engagement. Yeah, so like even going into that, when we look at Heroes of the Dorm, uh, you know, it's very much structured like the March Madness that you see. Sure. And one of the cool things about March Madness is that it brings in people who don't care about basketball at all, and it gets them to engage. And so, for me, I've never actually watched an NCAA basketball game during March Madness. If I go to a restaurant and it's on, great. But I filled out a bracket every single year. Right. And one of the things that we've been able to see with our partnership in Facebook is we have a tremendous growth in the amount of uh, engagement that we're seeing on our Pick'em Challenge on our bracket challenge because we are able to reach out and connect with those users that we weren't able to before. Right. And so it does open up a, a lot of doors that we didn't have previously. Gambling is fun. <laughs> uh, it, it's awesome. It's, it's uh, really, I think, so cool to have this, even more than professional esports events. This event, more than any of the others that I've seen, is so positive. It, there's a positive energy around it, and everybody's excited. They want, you know, it, it's younger people. I mean, Pros yeah. too, but it's yeah. you know it, there's a great, wonderful, positive energy, and kudos to you guys for creating that. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about this one because I'm excited. <laughs> All right, go for it. So I joined Blizzard a year ago, and I uh, immediately my second day of work, I flew to Korea for the Spring Championship, and then the week after that, I was at Heroes of the Dorm. And the one thing I noticed is that at this World Championship the excitement levels of dorm were just way above it in terms <laughs> of the people that were there and the audience. And as somebody that, um, in my previous roles, I've never really had to dive into collegiate esports. So I, I came into it with a very fresh perspective. And I, I've been racking my brain, uh, you know, after that. I was like, why, why was that such a special moment? Why did that leave me feeling something that I've never felt before? As somebody who's been to hundreds of esports tournaments in my entire career, and I think what I boiled it down to is the fact that for professional players, doing something like this is now a regular thing. You are used to going and competing on big stages. You're used to audiences. You're used to big prizes, right? You're showing up to work. Exactly. <coughs> yeah. But for these guys, this literally could be the only time in their entire life that they experience this. This could be their only time that their friends and family get to watch somebody do this. Yeah. And it makes it feel so... 
like special and raw and emotional. There's tears and there's hugs and there's just people that look devastated that you don't you don't necessarily get that in esports anymore. You know, like it's such a regular thing that nobody cries after winning or losing a game anymore. Right. Um, but you see that here because it matters so much more. And not only that, but there's this connection between uh, the players and their families because tuition is something that you you get a debt on usually. Yeah. And it's like the ability to be able to tell your parents like. I got you, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, you're going to be okay. Like we're going to get through this together. Thank you for supporting me. I'm returning the favor. It creates so much dialogue that, uh, for me leaves this really special feeling that I've always been like, how do I emulate this? And I realize that I can't, that this is what makes collegiate esports special. Right. Perfect place to end it guys. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Really appreciate you talking cool. to me. Yeah. yeah. Thank Thanks. you. Great chatting with you. We finally get a chance to talk spoilers for Horizon Zero Dawn. So, obviously, if you have not finished Horizon Zero Dawn, here is your chance to stop listening. Here is your chance. The big warning, do not ignore it. We're going to talk full spoilers for the campaign of Horizon Zero Dawn on PlayStation 4. So, are you sure you want to proceed from this point on? You won't be able to get any more gear, <laughs> finish any missions. <laughs> yeah, which is not really the case, I guess. But uh, anyway, okay, so Christian, you just finished it. Um, where shall we start? I mean, I I definitely think it's one of the best campaigns of all time. Um, I thought it crescendoed in all the right places. I thought it kept outdoing itself. I thought it paced itself really, really beautifully and laid out the the story and the information of all of the backstory of what happened before the fall of man um, in, a, in a really, really great way. But it also does a lot of the things that I don't like in video games. And somehow it didn't bother me this time. Like you walk into a cutscene and it's, it's not really a cutscene. It's just like, you know, hologram images talking at you that you can't, you know, you have to stand there and just watch it and wait until it's done. And yet it didn't bother me in this game. So yeah, what are your I, thoughts? I, I think part of that is because the, those weren't very long. Um, Some of them were. I don't remember. Maybe, well, then maybe the other part of it is I thought they were interesting. So <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's the key, right? Is actually had good writing. And the the backstory is not something that is particularly unique. Like, it's not a story we've never seen before. It's, you know, you can pretty much figure out what happened to humanity is you know you pretty quickly but it's still really interesting and it's still full of great moments and i'm i was i wasn't bored by it ever i think what makes it interesting is again the writing and the way they don't dwell on the fact that the machines became not, not sentient but you know they went too far right and they're consuming biofuel and whatever it is they don't dwell on that reveal for too long you kind of hit that reveal but then what you're spending the rest of the time with is, is this idea of um elizabeth's altruism if 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 that's how far it goes and right. other people's motivations for wanting to give humanity another chance and that's the stuff that's so fascinating i think is that these characters that have been long dead um are you know you're kind of with the same group of people through the end of humanity and through their voice messages and their journal logs and the holograms presented you're really learning about each one of them and their motivations for wanting to do something and some 
it is altruism. Some choose, you know, euthanasia. Some choose glory. Basically, one guy I think chooses to do it because he wants to masturbate in a tomb for thirty years. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that logic. <laughs> and and I think you know they're all very human in a way that is oftentimes not found in video games. Now, if the same story and same writing were presented in, you know, Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad, the end of the world or whatever, would it seem as unique and fresh? I don't know. We're in the, you know, platinum age of television or whatever you want to call it. But in in this game, and I'm not trying to diminish it by saying any game, but in this game, the way it's presented is, is really fresh and touching. And the way they set you off with um, Aloy in the beginning as this outcast and her struggles um, and, and who she is and what she's been through, I think it makes that stuff even more special because it mirrors why is she doing this. You know, it starts off as to find her folks and then it becomes something much bigger. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that um, more more to me, for me personally, more than the even the characters of the end of the world, I was fascinated by how nuts and bolts we get about the logistics of what they tried to pull off. Like I was, I mean, we get to the, like the Gaia AI and all that stuff. And it's a little cheese ball. It's like, Oh, we created a benevolent earth mother and she Hades is, you know, it's like, okay, well that's a little, I feel like that's a little, you know, been there, if done you that were creating an earth mother. What would you want to call it? Like Kanata's foot. You would call it Maybe. Gaia too. Come on. Maybe Kanata's <laughs> foot is what it needs to be called. But, uh, just the like the AI is benevolent and it's fighting against the evil AI. All that stuff is is very anime, sort of been there, done that twenty years ago. But the logistics of okay, we separated in these different colonies and we had we we handpicked these experts and we tried to you know figure out a way to actually pull off the rebirth of humanity. I thought the the level of detail that you can dig into and that the writers of the game thought through. I, th- I found all that stuff to be really fascinating, and it was the first time where even, you know, kind of really dry logs, you know, uh, uh, collectibles that you can find that just, like, show you, you know, somebody's journal. Most of the time in games, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm just kind of not really reading this. But in Horizon, I was reading all of it just because it felt so interesting. Yeah, totally. And I think part of that is because that stuff is it- – it wasn't just a data log per se. It was written by that character. So even if it was, and I forget some of these names and it's just because I'm bad at that. Um, but like Texas gunslinger boy, you know, when he's writing his journal about what he's doing to create Hades or whatever it is, it's still very much him and his voice. So you're learning about him, his motivations, what he wants to do, his relationships with other characters. Like it was, there's like a telenovela going on, you know, <laughs> between these, these end of the world survivors. And it, it made it so fascinating. And I think the way it waits to really start uh, delivering that stuff in mass until later in the game, you know, that when I got in there and I started finding all this stuff and the answers start coming, it's just like, oh God, yeah, here we go. It's not such a slow plotting, you know, 40 hour game and it gives you one thing here, then a journal here. Cause then you yeah. don't care. At least I t- tend not to care. Right. Uh, let's talk about Aloy's journey herself. I mean, I don't think there was ever a time when I didn't know exactly her relationship to uh, Elizabeth like it, it was seemed very obvious at the beginning like oh she clearly cloned herself and made you duh but and so that reveal didn't come off like a reveal and it kind of felt weird that Aloy didn't put it together but I guess you know if you're growing up in a tribe you don't immediately leap to cloning um 
But uh, I, I did think that stuff was cool. But let's talk about her – like as a player, the things that you you step through with her because I think it does an awesome job of making me care not just about all the stuff that's happened before but also all the stuff that's happening now. And I was just as invested in the tribes and the war that we actually – I mean we, we actually get a full-scale war. And most games that promise that, you know, like you are the last bastion and you're going to stand up against the the hordes of war, ultimately what you actually play through, it doesn't feel that epic. But here, it really did feel to me like I was on the last stand, you know, the last, the last century on the wall trying to defend the city from overwhelming odds. I'm glad it felt that way for you. For me, that was one part where I I let uh, I I just let the game tell me that's what I was doing. I it, it, I wouldn't say it was a a, a a fault or a flaw in the game or like a lower point in the game, but it was like you know you have these three defense points. You're the last one, and like everything you go to, I don't know if you did the missions before it starts where you like meet people and yeah, check out yeah. things. And it's like the six people you've met in the game. It's like, all right, you two people whose names I know, you're the ones in the tower. I you other two cool. people, but I'm, th- there weren't like thousands of people when the the Sun King was talking. He's like, and we will get all of our soul, and then you get there, right. and there's f- four stations with cannons. Okay, fair enough. Did you do the the side mission before that where you helped build that that rocket launcher thing? Yes. So I thought that was rad. Like that that mission just felt like a one off side thing, and then here she is. She's back, and she's got her attitude, and and uh, you know this is that cannon that I helped build, and and now I'm using it to save the city. I thought that was a really cool payoff. Yeah, and I think even too, you know, it's it's you're fighting a war, but you're fighting a war on the PlayStation Four. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know. I can't expect it to zoom out and become an RTS all of a sudden and have you have thousands of units that you're commanding. It, it felt epic. I just don't know if it felt as far as maybe you you felt it oh, man i i love that moment when i was just i'm shooting rockets over the horizon to try to kill the giant things and then little things are running up at my feet and i gotta place traps around to stop them from hurting me while i'm taking out the big things i don't know i thought that at that moment just felt see what so i love about that and about so much of the game um is i didn't do traps for any of that i was just shooting <laughs> Oh yeah, I was just shooting, and then when like the little guys got close, and I got in trouble. I scrambled up the wall and jumped and went into slow motion and pulled out my um, shock arrows and was just taking dudes down. Because what I love about this game too is that it, it, there's progression. There's certainly progression in leveling up, but you're never earning items through a story progression. The hunters guild stuff will will pay off with items here and there, and different villages will have different traders, different merchants that you can get new items from, maybe. But other, like you, you're buying your stuff. I remember being about halfway through this game and thinking, "When do I get a new bow?" Like I, <laughs> I'm not the kind of guy that usually buys a bow. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm going to save what my resources. What am I awarded the the bow that I need next? Right. Yeah. Exactly. What are yeah, you telling me exactly what to use? Yeah. 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 And it doesn't do that. And it's cool. It's a change in that type of game for me. So I was just totally by that point. I was like, oh, I got to buy everything. So I spent a couple hours when grinding out in the forest, got everything I needed to do, and then I was just bring it on, little dudes. <laughs> Did you not use the traps even for the cauldrons? Because I found that to be really fun where, you know, you get to the end of a cauldron and there's that, you know, whatever the giant mech beast that's waiting for you to finish the cauldron, like in its little cage. And you can flip a switch to release it whenever you want. So you have this opportunity to set up the room. And I 
I loved that. I loved like, okay, I'm going to find a little pocket back here and I'm going to set up a defensive area where I'm going to draw it through all these traps that are going to explode on it. And did you do any of that? I saw I love the cauldrons, by the way, for one. I thought they were so, so really, so really cool. I clearly have a sick daughter and just got up not too long ago. They are very cool. And I like the way the art style changes and the way you kind of progress through them is, is different than the rest of the world. I tried with one of the cauldrons to hit a bunch of traps and I feel like it didn't go the way I wanted it to. So after that, I think I texted you during like the, the hardest one where I was just like, this stupid, I'm going to brute force this if I have to. And that's exactly <clears throat> what I did. I left the cauldron, went out, got like all the herbs I could possibly handle, made as many full restores, bonus restores, partial restores. And I just walked in there put rambo blood paint on my eyes and was like bring it (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um i had a great time i mean i love how many times it feels epic toward the end and you kind of constantly get these crescendos i love the behemoth fight in the arena i thought that was really fun and really clever and the 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 dude that rides in on the mechs and saves you at the end i thought that moment was really awesome uh really the only the only fight that I didn't enjoy was the one-on-one human fight with uh, the main bad dude. I can't remember his name. Um, yeah, the Shadow King or the Karja yeah. Shadow. Guy. I did not. I didn't really enjoy that just because it felt so claustrophobic, and he felt so. He just kept advancing on me, and I was trying to keep distance. And there was a. It was, you know, not a lot of room. I mean, I I beat him pretty quickly, but it just didn't feel like a dynamic, fun fight in the way the others did. But um, other I think than that, that's the hard part of when you're you get used to fighting these awesome robots that have various weak points. And when you scan them, you can see that someone, you know, part of it, you need to use tear other part shock. And, you know, you kind of have this symphony, this orchestra of destruction happening. Yeah. And then for this guy, it was just I have health. Right. <laughs> and then I yeah, I, I think I did flaming fire arrows. And it's just I kind of would run around by that time. I could notch three arrows at a time. So I would notch three arrows uh, going. Yeah slow motion just light him up and then i would run around flank him i'd be behind him after his burn damage stopped he'd turn around and be like you are going and i'd be like yeah shut up <laughs> <laughs> um the 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 other thing that it does that for me is a cardinal sin for video games and for some reason this game i forgave it is uh you know there's that fight at the end against the the i can't remember the names of anything the giant spider thing um that it puts a timer on the screen i mean it straight up puts a timer on the screen screen and i hate that um, and yet it was still, I was still having fun. It's a, it's a stress point that I think the thing that bothers me about timers on the screen is it's such an artificial way to add urgency and tension instead of actually creating that within the context of the game. It's like, oh, here's this arbitrary thing that's on the screen to just make the gamer feel tense instead of, you know, organically find it in the context of the game world. Um, but it's still, it was still a, a really fun fight. Yeah, I think the reason the timer maybe didn't bother you this time is because you didn't fail because the time ran out. Like, right. you, you know what I mean? If you're able to complete it within the time, you're like, yeah, 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 I guess I'll forgive it. But it, no, it's still, it's super annoying. Um, I think when you try to go to that, it's not as if that thing wouldn't quote unquote exist in the real world, like a bad guy having a self-destruct timer or something going. But in the, in a video game world, I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, where you, if you have a timer in game, it's annoying. But then if you don't actually have a timer that results in a fail state and characters are just like, we got to do this in the next four minutes or we die. And then some game or somewhere will have the stream of, I've had a standing one place for eight hours now world's not don't say that don't say that we have to do this in four minutes or we die i mean i just i think it's such a the ticking clock 
thing is is so artificial and i think it's there are better ways to create urgency i think but um what are you what, any other you know awesome moments you want to highlight or things from the end of the game that really struck you as being cool i mean i think for me this the, the, the most amazing stuff about the game is how varied the landscapes and environments were for a game that didn't necessarily need to be that varied. Right. Um, the art assets in this game is it, just, it's amazing and beautiful. I found myself in the cauldrons needing to take time to turn the camera up just to, you know, look up, look up, idiot, look up when you're yeah. climbing the long necks and you're able to look out and see, or when the, the that first, um, you know, is it, I don't know if it's Hades or whatever, but that, you know, the huge downed robot where I think Hades' original core is. Oh, and yeah, and the snow, with, yeah, where you're climbing to the top of that giant thing. Just beautiful. Just uh, absolutely amazing. And there are so many beautiful vistas and landscapes in the game with, you know, the sunsets and dynamic weather and stuff that's happening. It's, it's awe-inspiring. And I think that combined with um, how good just the basic combat feels and the way that it it progresses because of you know your skill and things you unlock where you can notch three arrows or slow down time for longer but also kind of your understanding of how best to take down various beasts make that gameplay loop so much fun i could have sat and shot watchers in the eye and had downed them with one shot for 10 more hours you know yeah. and then doing that when there's 10 of those plus um a large thing coming at you that requires you to run and the way it, it adds slow down to jump and slide. It creates these epic moments where normally I wouldn't ever run and try to slide under something's legs. Right. But in this game, I'm like, Oh, there's a weak spot under him. I get slow motion. If I slide, here we go. Highlight reel. Yeah. And it's, it's all of those little moments that, that builds so nicely combined with the pacing of the narrative that just made it a, a truly, truly special game for me. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're like, Oh, I need a, you know, uh, a thunder claw heart or whatever they are thunder jaw heart or whatever it is or a you know i need this badass thing in order to get the cool weapon okay well now i'm gonna go find out where they hang out okay there they are there's a whole herd of them just hanging out being cool how am i gonna take this down it i love that fight in in a moment of my choosing thing like i think i feel like the first bioshock was the first game that was like okay when you're ready attack a big daddy because they're not going to attack you until you're ready. But when you're ready, try it. And I love that. Like, okay, I've prepared myself. I've got all my stuff. I've got, I've got a strategy. Let's do this. And then chaos ensues. And you're, it, it just feels so epic to be battling those, those things on the, on the planes, you know, and then, and then down them and get, you know, loot the thing that you wanted to go buy that cool weapon. It's such a perfect flow of, uh, challenge to reward. I, I love it. Yeah. For me, the only real thing that was, uh, ah, oh, why did they do that? Was the mid credit or post credit scene where, um, Riddick, who's in every game, uh, <laughs> sets up the sequel. And I'm like, ah, couldn't you just started the sequel with that? Or maybe that's the starting the DLC. I just didn't need to see the, yeah. I guess it makes sense because clearly I did feel like he was kind of playing you the whole game. Like right. he wasn't doing it just for atonement or whatever, but like the way it happens, like, <laughs> you know, you defeat this thing, but it just flies away and then he catches it and he's like, I got to learn. What What are you trying to, what else are you learning? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's an epic game and um, I loved it all the way through. I mean, I, there's so many awesome moments. I just think it's paced so, so beautifully and, 
it's one of the best games ever, in my opinion. Really, truly, one of the best campaign experiences of all time. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And also, uh, screw uh, Jeff Bezos or whatever from Amazon for killing the world, right? Oh, is that who did it? Jeff Bezos? <laughs> I feel like it was like, I don't know. To me, that's who I kept. It was him or Elon in my head. Like I kept, depending if it was like techie or uh, consumery, I would, yeah. it was one of the two. That I with, put. We just wanted to have uh, robot panthers deliver your Amazon boxes yeah. to you. That's all we wanted. We figured the fastest way to do it was to create robot panthers. And, uh, you know, and you can get your Amazon easy. fresh. It became Elon when it became reusable. Like, they need to be self-sustaining. And I'm like, Elon, just let the use the rockets once, buddy. Uh. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Uh, that is our spoiler talk for Horizon Zero Dawn, a game that should not be missed. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. And we'll see you next week.